And hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, and we have us another lovely show. We're back live here on Monday night here on 12 Ounce Sports. I know, guys, it was a little bit fuzzy last week, a little bit different, but that's okay. We were having a lot of fun doing so much awesome stuff. Because, you know, guys, we, we like to make sure, we like to keep you on your toes, right? That's why I'm doing all these high school hockey games and all that stuff. But we're starting this show off with a bang. We'll get to our awesome sponsors here in just a minute. But we got to get to our first guest today, or actually our only guest today. He is none other than one of the hosts of World Hockey Report up there in the plains of Edmonton slash Alberta slash Saskatchewan up over there up in the great white north. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show for the who knows how many a time, Cody Jansen. Cody, how are we doing today, man? Hey, buddy. Glad to be here. Doing good. Yeah. So, Cody, this this was an interesting week. So if you're if you're watching us on 12 Ounce Sports, which means you're watching us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook or Zingo TV channel 761, you'll notice that I'm wearing a Vancouver Canucks shirt as I literally have a Toronto Maple Leafs mug. And because Cody, I you know, I believe I have this thing where if you get owned by a team in a weekend set or a couple game set, you should have to wear their merchandise to let people know who actually beat you, because that's what happened this past weekend with the Leafs and the Canucks. However, Oilers fans should be eating the same kind of crow after the three games the Leafs had against the Oilers last week. One goal in three games for the high-powered offensive duo of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And by one goal, I mean it was actually Ryan Nugent Hopkins with the goal, the assist to Dreisaitl, McDavid pointless over those three games. What was your initial reaction to those games between Toronto and Edmonton? Because it looked like maybe Edmonton was going to jump into first place, but then the Leafs just said no with three different goaltenders, mind you. Yeah, I mean, flat out, they just weren't good. That's <laughs> the simplest answer I can give you. You're at home, you're against the best team in the league, and they're missing their top player and their starting goaltender for two of the three games. You should be able to at least get three points out of that six possible, right? So I think clearly they need more out of McDavid and Drysaddle. Again, I still think Drysaddle's playing a little bit banged up, so we'll give him a little bit of leverage there. He hasn't been practicing for McDavid. I, I honestly, and I, I hate to you know try pretend to be Dave Tippett here, but I really feel like the inconsistency in line mates is starting to hurt him. You know, the, it seems like every week his line mates are going into a blender, whether it's Zach Cassian getting hurt, whether it's someone getting traded. I mean, you think back to all the wingers that he's really, you know, got paid in this league, whether that is Patrick Maroon. I think Alex Chason had a pretty hot stretch there. It, it really it's only something that's not sustainable for, you know, 20 plus games. So there comes a point in time when you need consistency. And for the Oilers, they clearly didn't have it. They didn't have that chemistry. They didn't get good enough goaltending. And as you said, you score one goal in three games. Yeah, you probably shouldn't win any of those. How do you think, because when I messaged you last week, hey, you want to come on the show Monday? It was, wow, the Leafs were so dominant, outscoring the Oilers 13 to 1, Spezza scoring. You know, and this was two of the three games without Austin Matthews. And then you have Michael Hutchinson with a shutout. Jack Campbell with a shutout gets injured, though, but still had a shutout. I mean, it just, does it show? I mean, like I said, we'll get to their past couple games. But that little stretch all of a sudden showed everyone like, listen, the Leafs may not be. We don't know who the best team is in the NHL right now. We won't know until whoever lifts Lord Stanley at the end of the playoffs. But that really showed to everyone that time that the Leafs were for real now they go over to British Columbia 
and everything changes. What do you think was the biggest issue? And obviously that game on Thursday, that's the second half of a back-to-back, and on a travel day as well. What do you think that happened? What happened to the Leafs, you think, when they went from Edmonton to Vancouver, who's been struggling for the majority of the season thus far? Well, usually I think guys would blame the Roxy or something in Vancouver. <laughs> I don't know when they uh, intended to have their rookie party or not. But, no, I, I think, honestly, they kind of ran into solid goaltending. you got to tip your cap where it's due. Thatcher Demko was good for Vancouver. I mean, I watched most of both of those games, and I would say those are two of their best games of the season, honestly. So, you know, the Leafs are going to be tired out. As you said, you know, you're back half of a back-to-back. You've just played the Edmonton Oilers, who are very well number two, number three in the North as well. So, you know, they gave them a good run for their money. It wasn't like the score exactly dictated where all those games were blowouts by definition. So I think they were a little tired. I think they're a little gassed. And I think you, you kind of you, you lose some confidence. You go into Vancouver that first night, nothing's going. Just none of the bounces seem to be going their way. Then in the second game, you get up. Looking pretty good. I mean, you have a lead, I think, in the third period. I think they were up 2-1. And all of a sudden, a couple of bad breaks go your way. I think Freddie's going to want a couple of those goals back. And, yep. you know, you're in Vancouver. You're, that's that's a place where, you know, they're supposed to win when they're at home. I know there's not fans. I know it's a totally different environment nowadays. But you're traveling to their rink. Vancouver's a desperate team. Vancouver's a team that is looking pathetic after their playoff run last year. So they're, they're looking to prove something. I mean, they were getting ripped on in, in social media. And I know a lot of the guys, they try to stay away from social media, which is smart. But again, you, you can't avoid it when your GM's doing stupid press conferences, really just reading the script. I mean, your coach hasn't done much for you. The, the, the most your owner has done this whole season, sent out a couple of good tweets, pumping your tires. It's been a terrible season for them. So for, for them to have a couple of good games to see Quinn Hughes kind of get going, I think they did it both without Peterson, too, and both of them. Demko has been good for them. I don't know. I mean, the, the Leafs are arguably the, well, not even arguably, I'd call them the best regular season team in the league. I just don't know if they've got it come playoff time. I love the additions of Thornton. I love Simmons. You know, I love Muzzin. I love Bogosian. They're all playoff players. So I think they got a long, lot of potential to really make a serious push this year. But still regular season wise, no one can keep up with them. That That's, I think, the biggest fear. And as Leafs fans, they've gotten so accustomed to just failure in the postseason and whether it be getting you know, beat by Columbus or three game sevens to Boston or whatever have, or even back in the early 2000s when Curtis Joseph plays great in the regular season and they play the New Jersey Devils and they get six shots in game seven, whatever it may be, they're used to it. And I think everyone's fear is even if the Leafs get through the first two rounds of the North Division playoffs, they come out and they're in the final four. They go up against, say, Colorado or Vegas or even if they meet Boston again and they get swept. That's literally everyone's fear. But Wayne Simmons is skating back today, so I'm sure the Leafs will like to have him back in the lineup, the big bruiser. But I I just wonder, where is everyone? Like, is this North Division starting to go back to being this wild, wild west sort of thing? Because for up until those two games in Vancouver, it looked like maybe the Senators were going to jump the Canucks in the standings in Calgary with good old boy Daryl Sutter coming back there, but they're still losing hockey games after Jeff Ward was fired. Montreal is a team, and there's Edmonton, but now you have Winnipeg in second place. 
Obviously, the Leafs got a seven-point lead on the Jets, but there is still a little bit of hockey to be played. I think the Leafs have 30 games left in the regular season. What should we expect in this North Division as the season winds down? Should we see it open up? Is it going to tighten down? Are we going to have four teams within two points of a playoff spot in the end? Cody, what's it going to look like? Mayhem. I don't. <laughs> I, I, it's just so hard to tell. I think that your number one seed's pretty finalized. I think Toronto's the best team. And then honestly, number two through five could go any which way. I could see Winnipeg being number two. I could also see them dropping down to number five. You know, the same thing with the Flames where they're, you know, you hope that they're better than Ottawa and Vancouver. And I think Daryl Sutter gets a lot out of his teams early on. Just his, you know, mentality, how he coaches. He's going to get a lot of that Flames group. But are they still good enough to make the playoffs? I don't know. They've, they've lost a lot of games here. And now all these games are four point games when they're playing Edmonton, when they're playing Montreal, Winnipeg, who they still have to see a lot of here. I don't know. I, I would say, yeah, you're, you're, you're pretty much set at number one and Toronto's got the division locked up. But after that, you know, Montreal, how, how's Carey Price going to be for the next seven games? No one knows. He could be a nine fifty. He could also be an 850 goaltender. There's, there's, it's the exact same thing with the Oilers too. What are you going to get out of McDavid and Dreisaitl? Are they going to have 10 points in the next five games? Or are they going to have zero? Yeah, there's a lot of inconsistencies. And I would say the season itself plays into that. You know, this is unprecedented territories. I get it. They played in a bubble last year, but these guys aren't playing in front of fans. It's hard to get the energy up. It's hard to make your own emotion. And I think as we saw in the Battle of Alberta on Saturday night, you can only do so much. You know, it's, it's a super exciting first period. And then the second period, it's dead. It, it felt like a game of shinny out there. Then in the third period, all of a sudden, oh, there's something to play for. And you start to see more hits. You start to see more chances. There's just some life. So you're going to have those ups and downs. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the season it is. It's, it, it's nothing we've ever seen before. It it's incredible, and I I don't know, I remember when I spoke with Ken Weeb of Winnipeg there in Sportsnet Winnipeg. He told me the Jets can finish between two and six, and let's be honest, he's like because there was I expect I think there was an expectation for the Sens to be better. Obviously, they picked up a little bit late, but then again, I guess maybe it's just teams not taking them seriously or whatnot. But we'll see how they go on. But this division just seemed like it was wide open. Like you said, the Leafs starting to take over, but like we talked about, the Jets are right there now, seven points back. Kind of in a similar spot the Oilers were going into that three-game set at Rogers Place. They went in there. They were only six points back. They were a little bit of a hot streak. The Jets have won seven of the last ten games, but they're all all three of them in Toronto, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Do we look at this set and maybe see the Leafs, I don't want to say go on a redemption tour, but kind of really bounce back and do what they did to the Jets, do what they did to you know Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, that they did to Dreisaitl and McDavid? Or do we see the Jets maybe come with a little bit more of a pushback than the Oilers did against the Leafs this week. I think it's all on the Jets here. I think it's it, it's kind of a time where this is the Jets' turn to really prove, are you legit? Can you keep up with the top teams in the North? Or are you just being the Montreals, the Ottawas, the Vancouvers? I don't know the schedule off my heart, but I, I guarantee you, you know, if they come out here and take two of three against Toronto, people are going to start looking at them seriously and be like, wow, that's an actual number two team in the North here. You know, that's a, that's a team with a great number one goaltender with a fairly solid defensive group and some decent forwards, some key pieces up front instead of being like, well, you know, 
they've got some good players here and there, but they got no depth and, you know, they'll make the playoffs. They'll be on the bubble and then they're going to lose that first round. So it's a real telltale week or, you know, stretch here for the jets where they got a chance that they can either make themselves legitimate contenders in the eyes of, you know, the public perception, or they can kind of go down and be like, well, yeah, they're not even close to the Leafs. It'll be tough. Obviously, you'll need your big guns going, but you'll need a great outings out of Connor Hellebuck, obviously, because I believe, yeah, they're all there's no back to back. So you have the opportunity to play Hellebuck in all three games. Let's flip back, though, to to Alberta and look at the Flames here. Jeff Ward gets fired. Daryl Sutter comes in. And of course, here comes the old boys club, you know, coming in there like, oh, my gosh, another old coach, you know, being rehashed, recycled or whatever. Will it? Do you think it'll work in Calgary? Do you think Daryl Sutter is that right guy, or do you think his methods, similar to when Mike Keenan tried coming back a few years ago, are just going to be passe and kind of be looked over by this younger group? Especially, I mean, now granted, I think he, the Flames should you know move past him, but Johnny Hockey, Johnny Gaudreau. But do you think Sutter's the right guy in Calgary to get this team back on track, or do you think it's just one last ditch effort by Trilliving and the gang, and maybe this Flames core, maybe their window has passed. Well, I mean, that's a harsh comparison to go with Mike Keenan. <laughs> well, I'm thinking... I know Keenan's won a couple of games. I, I feel true. Like yeah, I'm no, saying, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's an interesting one. But from Calgary's perspective, this is bringing back a coach who did have success in Calgary. You got to give give him credit there. He took him to a cup before, you know, he won in L.A. And he, he's often, you know, been one of those coaches. And nonetheless, he is from Alberta too. So I mean, he's he's right here, right in the heart. He really connects with a lot of the the players i would say better uh, especially a lot of the tougher players your your matthew kachucks your sam bennett you know your milan luciches your mark giordano's daryl sutter's the perfect coach for them erasmus anderson and so i think he's gonna get the most of those guys i do worry a little bit about you know your your high-end skilled guys if they're just gonna wilt away I mean, you'd hate to see Lindholm, Gaudreau, those guys take a, take a serious step back because, you know, they can't handle the coaching style. But one thing Daryl Sutter has gotten is a lot out of skilled players early on. You know, when he took over Calgary in 03, I believe it was, got a lot of that group, got into a Stanley Cup. When he took over L.A. in 2012, now I'm just throwing out numbers here. I think it's 2012, yeah, his first in, year there. Yeah, right, I mean, came in right the play, or, uh, a little before the trade deadline, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, but like, look at the roster that, and, and, you know, they were the exact same thing. Everyone going, oh, too much skill. They got no heart, no chance they're doing anything. You know, they'll be an all right team. They'll win some shootouts, but, you know, they don't have that heart. They don't have that grit. They don't have that emotion. Daryl Sutter came in and it was just a different looking group. So, uh, again, I'm not in the room. We're not in the room. We don't know what he's saying. We don't know what he's doing to them if they're getting Russian gas or what. But you really got to figure it out in a sense of, hey, if he's that good of a motivator, if the players believe it, then that's great. If this is just Brad Tree Living being like, hey, I got one last bullet in my gun here. I got to take a shot at something. And Daryl Sutter is the one he decided to shoot at. Hey, I mean, all the power to him. It's kind of, you know, you're swinging for the fences. It's a full count here. You're, I think you, you give him a three-year deal too. So, you're either hitting a home run and the flames are going to really turn around the identity of this team, or they're just going to fold and fail and they're best to sell off farm. In which case I think the GM has got to go and you got to bring in a fresh new face to, you know, make the rebuild happen. 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And Sutter, I mean, of course, Sutter had that that set the that seventies line with those Kings, Dwight King, Jordan Nolan, Tanner Pearson. That line just went out there and was meant to like beat the other team into a pulp. And I'm pretty sure the Sedins and Co. That President's Trophy winning Vancouver Canucks team. I'm pretty sure they were not too pleased with the uh, with the bruising that they got in that first round. The Flames got they have a couple days off before they get a pair against Montreal, then a couple of Battle of Alberta's at home against the Oilers for taking on the Leafs in a back to back at home or on the road. So interesting schedule here. Obviously, a couple of chances for the Flames if they can turn it back on track. Cody, before I let you go here, you know this past weekend has been a little bit of a rough one up there in Alberta. I guess across the entire country of Canada. I guess the hockey world as a whole. We lost the legend in itself. He may not have registered a point in the NHL or any pro ranks for what have you, but. Walter Gretzky dying this past weekend and overnight. And I, I, I'm going to probably get into my piece after we let you go here, but Cody, what, you know, Walter Gretzky was a legend, you know, the Canada's hockey dad is the, the phrase we've heard a lot of over the weekend and definitely true. So, and we saw the funeral service yesterday, you know, what are your thoughts on Walter Gretzky and the legacy he leaves behind in the game? Oh, I mean, the, the hockey world's not even close to the scene without him. That's how big of an impact this guy's had. And I mean, over the past few days up here in Edmonton, you know, with Oilers now and stuff, we've, we've talked to Kevin Lowe. We talked or you know, Wayne Gretzky was on today. So you really get to hear those stories of the impact, those stories of, of what he meant, not just to Edmonton, to Wayne's teams, but to the game as a whole. Everyone saw it. All these communities in Ontario, they saw Walter around the rink. He was willing to talk with people, take pictures, a selfless guy. And I mean, that that doesn't even scratch the surface on what he's done in his life. I mean, for how many people he's helped for, you know, that's there's really no way to summarize it other than he sees touched the lives of so many people. And I, I think a huge kudos to that is, you know, you see the very last game at Rexall place in Edmonton up here, he's here and he gets a standing ovation. You know, this is a hockey parent that, you know, Tyler, I don't know if, I don't know if there's anyone else I could see getting that reaction. I don't know. Like I, I think about it and I'm like, you know, I, I don't know much about, you know, Gordy Howe's parents, Bobby Orr's parents. Walter Gretzky was one of a kind. And, and man, his, his impact on the hockey world is incredible. And that, that's why I think people celebrate the life of him. And, you know, it, it really has been. You got to hear the stories from people who, you know, dealt with him on a regular basis. And I, I think some of the funny ones, too, was, you know, when the Oilers were, would they'd go through struggles and, you know, they were a wagon back in the day. You think of some of those teams, Gretzky, Lowe. But uh, Sather would call up Walter, you know, when they're doing bad. And he, he'd actually come. He, you know, he'd come to Edmonton. He'd visit. And everyone saw, oh, Walter's here. You know, must be serious here. And so, I don't know. They'd, they'd bring Walter into the room. He'd bring in the boss. Give a speech. Maybe just, yeah, he'd just sit in the stands. And everyone kind of knew, like, oh, Walter's here. You know, we, we got to play good. We got to do something. So, there's just so many of those stories and I guarantee you that, you know, those guys could go on forever and ever about it, but man, there's just no way to understate his importance to the hockey world. And that's why I say, you know, without Walter, the, the game is completely different. Imagine no Gretzky in the NHL. Exactly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how else to say it. 
it it's so and that's i think the biggest thing i've learned just listening to because i listen to a lot of it it got a little news down in the states from some of the hot community but obviously it's a much bigger story in canada and i listen to a lot of the shows up there and you just hear the stories not just from the people that played with gretzky not you know like kevin Lowe or messier like kids you know that are 18 19 years old that were like hey i remember seeing him at when I was playing for the Marlboros or at a GTHL tournament, I ran into him and he was signing autographs for hours. And I'm like, this guy transcended generations. And I, there's not many players that have transcended generations, let alone figures like Walter Gretzky. That's, I think, right there is the legacy. And, you know, just the fact of how important he is, is that everyone from the age of maybe 85 all the way down to, you know, the kids that are playing Bantam Prep or whatever are that know Walter Gretzky and know how important he is to the game. I think right there is, if there's anything you can ever say about Gretzky, Walter, Gret- Walter Gretzky, I think that right there is the telltale sign of how great of a man That's he is. That's spot on. That is definitely. And I'll get my piece here in a second, but Cody, I know we got to let you go here. Thanks for stopping by once again, giving us your take on the North Division. Calgary is going through some struggles, but they get a new coach. Vancouver is, I don't know. The Leafs apparently are the best team, but they've... <laughs> They've shown that they a couple teams can stun them, and it's a wild, wild North Division, man. It's going to be interesting to see how it ends. It's the NHL; anything can happen, right? But no, it's, I think the North Division's definitely been one of the more uh, enjoyable ones to watch, just because any given night, I mean, Ottawa can beat someone, the Leafs can go and lay an egg, or they can be the, the best team to watch in the, you know, all of the NHL. I would say they've got so much skill, they've got so much depth. We really don't know what happens, but I, I, I'm excited for the playoff push here. You know, there's kind of a little bit of a lull right now where you're like, ah, you know, we're, we're at that point where the, the opening, the season opening, the, the hype is worn off. And now you're in that midseason lull. So once we get closer to playoff time, I think it's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. You can be sure to follow World Hockey Report at World Hockey RPT. Check them out. They're right here on 12 Ounce Sports all the time, Cody. You guys are doing a great job up there. Keep giving us awesome content and bringing on great guests like you love to. Cody, we'll see you next time. Hopefully, we'll talk about it, and maybe we'll see. I want a tight playoff race. I don't want it to be too tight for one team. Not the team on my shirt, the team on my turvis here. That's the team I want a little out in front, even though the third round, I'm, I'm still looking at that. I'm like, well, if we get there, I'm still nervous, but we'll see. It's going to be exciting, but we'll definitely see you soon and uh, definitely chat down the line, Cody. Appreciate it, man. Take care. All right, that was Cody Jansen of World Hockey Report sticking around with us here to kick off this Monday edition of the Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. As I mentioned, you're watching us on 12 Ounce Sports, which means you're watching on the YouTube or the Facebook or the Twitter or the Zingo TV channel 761. If you ever want to sign up on Zingo TV, don't think you're just doing it for us. Do it for all these other awesome networks that are on there, all these other sporting networks, whether you like esports or lacrosse, there's basketball, like ABA basketball and all that, like the new league, not like the classic 70s hiked up shorts like the newer ABA or whatever. But there's all sorts of great stuff to watch on Zingo TV. Channel 761 is where you can find 12-ounce sports, though. Use the promo code 12-ounce, that's number one, the number two, the letter O, and the letter Z or Z for you improper English users. So, yeah, so let's uh, let's, let's get into, let's, let me, uh, I'll, I'll go a little bit more here with Walter Gretzky because he passed away over the weekend at the age of 82 and it was very sudden, you know, it, cause we knew he was older and he had Parkinson's. And I, I guess obviously 
we, we weren't sure what his health status was because really, then again, during this pandemic, there's been a lot. I mean, I'm not saying it's been hush hush around the Gretzky family, but he hasn't really been in the limelight as much over time. So, but I, when I heard the news, first of all, it was in the middle of the night and I, my heart skipped a beat because whenever you see Gretzky passes, no matter what the first name was, it was not going to be good. And we saw it was Walter and it, it kind of put a lump in my throat. I'll be honest. Cause I, when I was a kid, of course, everyone, when I was growing up was, Oh, Wayne Gretzky, he plays hockey. He's the great one. The everyone knew who Wayne Gretzky was. He was the epitome of Michael Jordan basketball. He can go around the world and everyone can look at that guy and they say, Hey, I play hockey. Oh, Wayne Gretzky plays hockey. Yes. Everyone knew that. And so I, when I was a kid, I studied up so much on him because for some reason, everyone wanted to have a project or everyone wanted me to talk about like, oh, because they knew who Wayne Gretzky was. Wayne Gretzky and here in Michigan, Steve Eiserman. And I actually did projects on both of them in school. We were in seventh grade. And for some reason, my teacher, we did a course on Canada. And this is probably where I really started to love Canada when I was growing up because obviously I went there when I was in fifth grade going up there as a peewee and for a tournament up in Toronto, actually, pardon me. We were in, we were in Rexdale. We played in Rexdale, Canline Ice Sports in Rexdale. And, but we got into seventh grade and we had to do this project on famous figures in Canada. And there was this laundry list of people from, from Pierre Trudeau to there's so many other figures that I remember historical figures and one of them of course was Wayne Gretzky and we drew names and we went down the list or whatever right and everyone's looking around because everyone sees Wayne Gretzky I'm like this is easy and myself who studied up on Wayne Gretzky and who knew a lot of history a lot of his history was literally saying like if someone does this this is the problem I have nowadays with you know whenever I hear other people talk about, you know, broadcasts that I know or college hockey that maybe I don't think follow it as tightly as I do. I listen to them and I'm like, all right, that's right. But there's more to it. So I'm like, if someone gets Wayne Gretzky, I'm going to criticize him so hard. But whose name came up first? Mine. So I got Wayne Gretzky. And I'm not kidding you guys. I did that entire project without a lick of research. I think I may have looked up some of the the fine statistics, like the the 1,072 career professional goals, 894 goals in the National Hockey League, 215 points, the most ever in the NHL single season history, like those finer details. But in terms of his story, I knew a lot about it. And it started off with Walter Gretzky in the backyard in Brantford, just flooding the ice. And I saw a cartoon a little uh, little comic strip that came out over the weekend, and it was up on a cloud, up in heaven, Walter Gretzky with his wings on, water in the ice. And I'm like, all right, the boys up there now have a good clean sheet to play on. And I just, and because he was the epitome of a hockey dad, and he was the epitome, it was a hockey dad to not just to Brent, to Wayne, to Keith, to his kids, even though he was so proud of all of his kids. It's the fact that he was a hockey dad to anyone that 
asked him for advice. Even if it was another hockey dad. Walter, my kid's seven years old and he wants to get better. You know, what do I ask him if he's like the coach? And we just talked with Cody how Glenn Sather, Glenn Sather, Hall of Famer Glenn Sather, coach and general manager of the Oilers back in the day with the Rangers now. Look what he had done. Look, I mean, he brought in Walter to help the team. Walter wasn't a coach. He wasn't a general manager. He wasn't an owner. But he was such an important figure that had so much respect around the league, around the game, that his word was firm and it was gold. It did not matter what the context was. Walter, how do you think Wayne played tonight? Played really well. The team looked good. A couple things here and there. Walter, minor hockey's getting a little expensive. Well, it's tough. That's why we're trying to raise money. He, he did so much for the game, so much charitable work for the game, so much charitable work around Canada, not just regarding hockey. He had done so much, and it's... I'll, I'll be honest with you. There should be... Whether... There is the builder section in the Hockey Hall of Fame. There is no reason why Lanny McDonald and company don't make an exception for Walter Gretzky to be in the Hall of Fame. Yes, you're right. Did he ever be a GM for a Stanley Cup champion? No. Did he ever play in the NHL and maybe broke ground and he broke? No, he did not. Did he ever coach a team? No, never did any of that. But he was such an important figure in the game that when he passes, it's it's a it was a national tragedy. That right there should be the reason why he gets the nod to go into the hall. Whether it be he sits in the great hall, the grand hall with every all the other players, or he gets a special little section to himself, whatever it may be, he deserves a spot in downtown Toronto on Front Street. There's no question about it in my eyes. There's a reason why there's this Gretzky banner here behind me in the studio here at TKS. Because had it not been for Walter showing this young kid named Wayne to play the game a different way and play it in a better way, I don't think he's on this banner. The record books may have been rewritten, but it wouldn't have been done by one guy. It is a completely incredible legacy that he leaves behind, and the game hurts for it, and our thoughts and prayers are with the Gretzky family and all those that he touched over his great life. 82 years old, Wayne Gretzky. We're going to take a break, folks, here on The Kula Show. When we come back, we'll have more hockey news and more here on TKS. We'll be right back. And welcome back, everyone, inside the Kewl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports here on this Monday, March the 8th, International Women's Day. We'll get to a little bit more about the women's game in just a minute, including some big news out of the National Women's Hockey League, if you haven't checked it out today. Hashtag International Women's Day 2021. Hashtag IWD 2021 as well on the Twitters. A lot of news coming out of there. 
Yes, folks, Tyler is wearing a Vancouver Canucks shirt today in a Toronto Maple Leafs. I'm like, hey, I've worn this shirt before on the show. Brendan Batchelor. Remember we had him? Play-by-play voice, radio play-by-play voice of the Canucks. Remember a great interview how that was? That was fun. And I wore that shirt then, too. I like this Canucks shirt. I do want the skate blade shirt, though, right? I want the black skate blade shirt. That's what I want. I don't want this Sprite jersey that they have now, this reverse retro. Even though I did have to suffer on Saturday night, because I didn't have any games that Saturday, I was able to watch the Leafs lose to the Canucks, and I watched Arizona and Minnesota go up one-on-one because it was the free game, the Adidas reverse retro free game on NHL.TV, which was Subway versus, I don't know, I've been trying to come up with a nickname for the Coyotes' purple alternative jerseys that they got now. I, for some reason, I was coming with grape soda, but it wasn't working out because I don't really know many grape soda-specific brands. I mean, here in Michigan, we have Fago, Fago grape soda, which is really good, but I, I couldn't come up with one. You can't say the Fago Coyotes because here's the thing about Fago and Arizona. They don't exist. They're on opposite ends of the country, so it couldn't work out here. But we are live here once again on 12 Ounce Sports and this Monday edition of TKS. Not No Sunday this week. Mainly because A, it's not the anniversary, and also the fact that B, I, I, this is our normal time slot. I think we should honor that time slot here on 12 Ounce Sports. Obviously, if you can't catch all the episodes today, that is okay. Just be sure to check out the replay tomorrow on the YouTube channel, The Cule Show YouTube channel. Hashtag TKS at The Cule Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Be sure to follow us there for all of our awesome news because we've been a little busy over the last couple of weeks. I've been doing this high school hockey thing because I get a little bored and get a little bit of money for it and it's been kind of fun because high school hockey doesn't get a whole lot of doesn't get a whole lot of publicity here in west michigan doesn't get a whole lot of publicity in michigan in general let's be honest there is some on the east side of the state and usually high school sports in michigan like most parts around the country it's basketball and football and it's about it minnesota obviously is probably the high school hockey mecca a little bit up in the northeast as well in the new england area but and Michigan doesn't get a whole lot of love. Let's put it this way. I, I reached out to a couple teams, and they're like, Tyler, we, 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 we can't pay you, Tyler. Well, why not? Well, no one pays for this sort of thing. We, we don't know what to do. This is, this is unprecedented that someone wants to come broadcast a high school hockey game. And I'm like, well, uh, okay, I'll, I'll find a different one then. Because there are some teams that are like, oh, my gosh, yes, let's get this guy. Because I... I I'm going to be doing like the Michigan high school state championships here at the end of the month. And I got the ACHA nationals coming up next month. So I'm like, I kind of know what I'm doing. So it's like, Hey, yeah, you want, I want more work. And that's how we do it. So with that, let's move along here. Like we said, we'll get to more of the women's hockey talk in hour two of the show today. And, of course, I forgot to mention this because Cody Jansen came on right off the top. we got to thank our sponsors for today's show here on TKS on 12 Ounce Sports. For those that I get that follow us on the social medias, we posted out, uh, the show posted out today that I was on a little bit of lack of sleep heading into today's show. Had a game late last night. 8 o'clock puck drop on a Sunday. Sunday night hockey without Carrie Underwood, unfortunately. Mike Fisher's wife, you know who she is. And I had to pull the morning shift at the radio station I worked at this morning, which means I had to be up at 2 a.m., which means I got about two hours of sleep. And four, I think I had five cups of coffee during the shift. Came home, worked up, but then I was able to take a nap. So I'm a little bit rested. I didn't even have coffee today before this show. A, because I have to do the morning shift tomorrow and I want to go to bed after the show. B, I felt rested. 
which is why I wanted to make sure I went into this next part with a little bit of a clearer head. Because the past week, across the National Hockey League, obviously we've had some great games. Minnesota has been having some great battles. They're showing like they're a team in the West that could possibly win the division. I had to pull myself away from the mic so I didn't scare some people. And then you have in the Central Division, Tampa and Chicago. This ain't 2015, kiddos. Tampa and Chicago battling in a couple of very tight games, overtime games. Anaheim and Colorado. It's looking like 2003 Anaheim, Colorado. Looking like 2006 and 7 Colorado and Anaheim over there. But those two good teams going back-to-back overtime games. In the East, we have Boston and Washington. Guys, do I, do I, you know what? We should make that one the highlight, the headliner for this little next segment of TKS. The Angel Department of Player Safety. It's a thing, guys, if you haven't heard about it on this program before. Let's go back to early last week. After we did our Sunday show, the Carolina Hurricanes were taking on the National Predators. UC Soros, the goaltender for the Predators, plays the puck behind his own net. I forget which period it is. Unfortunately, I don't have that great a photographic memory, but I just remember this play happening. Soros plays the puck, and Nino Niederreiter, the Swiss Superman himself, and a little bit of a pest, comes behind the goal and does a little bit of a drive-by on Soros, catching him in the old noggin. Soros was okay for the most part, but was definitely hit in the head directly. What does Nino Niederreiter get? He gets a kid's a $5,000 fine the maximum allowable under the current CBA. And then we had an incident with Brett Pesci, Carolina, and Detroit. It's just, I'm watching, and I'm watching this one live too, because I have my Roku, which has Fox Sports Detroit, so I was able to watch it. And there's just this play going along, and all of a sudden, Brett Pesci decides he's going to kick the feet out from underneath Robbie Fabry of the Red Wings. What does Brett Pesci get, kids? $5,000 fine, the maximum allowable under the current CBA. We also had a game between the Washington Capitals and the Boston Bruins. Trent Frederick trying to get in Alexander Ovechkin's kitchen. What happens? Ovechkin gives him a little cowbell, a stick between the legs, right into the family jewels of the Fredericks. What does Ovechkin get, kiddos? $5,000. The maximum allowable number under the current CBA. Now, that's not where exactly this whole story ends, obviously. Because I'm not going to go full tilt on everything that happened because obviously there is a lot to look into here. But we did have a couple of suspensions last week. As I'm quickly just searching a name here before I um just before I go too far here. Because there was a hit last night. Um, that I missed, that I forgot. As I'm looking here, don't worry, I'm coming around here, guys. I am coming around. A maximum allowable under the current CBA for all of these, for the ones I just mentioned. Blackhawks. I forget the name of the guy. Player suspended. Ah, here we go. Connor Murphy last night. There it is. Connor Murphy hits Eric Chernick. Or, yes, he hit the guy... He will not be suspended. Oh, goody. Great. So Sunday's game between the Blackhawks and the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
Eric Sharanak has the puck behind his own net for the Bolts, and he gets hit high by Connor Murphy, who gets ejected from the game. Connor Murphy, who had not actually had any prior discipline, was kicked out of the game in the second period for an illegal hit where he clearly charged, clearly left his feet. Which makes you wonder, kids, what in the heck was that all about? And I get it. So they kicked him out of the game, and but here's the problem. No supplemental discipline. But yet, Joachim Blitchfield of the San Jose Sharks catches Nathan McKinnon with a high hit. A blindside hit, by the way. If, for those that may not have noticed, those that didn't watch it last week, what happens to Blitchfield? Two games. Now, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, if you remember my first rant of the season, I have to distinguish which one it is because there's been a couple on this show this season. Now, how many we've had over the, you know, almost four-year history of this program, I can't quite say yet because of the fact that it's a big number. It shouldn't be a big number, but it is a big number. We actually started this program around the time George Peros was hired in to be the head of the Angelo Department of Player Safety. However, Nathan McKinnon gets hit in the head. He gets two games. Tyler Myers does the same thing to Yoel Armia of the Montreal Canadiens. Myers gets donut. Zero. No supplemental discipline. Alex Chason, kind of not resulting in a hit. Alex Chason got to spend one game for cross-checking Jimmy VC in the head after one of the losses last week between Edmonton and Toronto. I think it was game two because Hutchinson was in net for that one. So that's okay because, you know, after the play, after all the kerfuffles, you give him a cross-check to the head. Okay, one game, that's fine. But let's kind of break down everything that's going on here. Kyler Yamamoto also got suspended. Not, excuse me, he didn't get suspended. Who am I kidding? I'd be lying to myself. Kyler Yamamoto, for tripping Rasmus Anderson, got fined $3,854.17 the maximum allowable under the CBA for a dangerous trip. Not a slew foot, a trip, even though Yamamoto used his foot. Okay, kids. Let's kind of, we'll get to that one here in just a second. But let's kind of break down the inconsistency that we have before this past weekend. Let's go at first at the, let's go for the, actually no, we'll do the Washington-Boston thing double together. You know what I'm talking about. We'll get to it. If you're following the ticker right above me here, you know where I'm about to get to. Then again, if you've actually followed us, followed me on Twitter, followed the shows on Twitter, it's, well, you know which one we're getting to. Something with a four and a three and some guy losing his stupid lid. But here is my problem. First, with the Nino Nino Rider, Brandon Ansaros. Nino Nino Rider has been fined before. And I thought goaltenders were not fair game when they're like in our trapezoid behind the net. He played the puck, and he gets hit. Incidental contact was the ruling for the only it being a fine. Thankfully, as far as we know, Saros isn't gone for a long period of time, or else that could have been a huge issue. Now let's jump to these slew foots. Yamamoto wasn't really as bad. But here's the thing with Brett Pesci and Robbie Fabry. Pesci, at center ice, they're going to the benches, Kicks him in the back of the leg. Straight up took his leg and swung it around like he's Johnny trying to sweep the dang leg. Takes out Fabry. Thank goodness Fabry doesn't have an LCL or an MCL tear after a play like that. 
if you're watch, if you're a soccer fan, that's an automatic red card, and the guy gets fined for it as well. Pesci got a two-minute minor for tripping. Two minutes. Mickey Redman on the broadcast. Mickey Redman, by the way, George Peros, is a guy that played back in the 60s and the 70s when the game was a little bit more of an outlaw type of game. He thought that was a missed call. He thought that should have been more than just a two-minute trip and a fine. Mickey Redman, George Peros, who actually was able to play the game, unlike you, even though you went to college and went to Princeton and played in the NHL for a long time, he actually could score about 30 goals, scored 50 a couple times for Detroit, and could also kick your teeth in on the ice. So let you know, Mickey Redman knows what he's talking about. So Brett Pesci, kicking a guy in the back of the leg, that gets a fine, even though it could have been worse. Did he have to actually, what, draw blood for it to be an actual penalty? Did he have to go full Matt Cook and stop him in the Achilles? For it to be a suspension? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be the case when you kick someone in the back of the leg. You ever actually poke someone right behind their knee? They collapse. Let alone kick them with your leg, your 210-pound hockey player, kicking someone in the back of the leg trying to injure them. An intent to injure play only gets a two-minute minor and a $5,000 fine. Do we really want to go into the whole, you know, how much that actually is involving in Brett Pesci? You know what? Let's do that. Let's do that, children. Hey, let's do that. All right, come on. Let's check this out. Catfriendly.com. Help me out here, friends. Come on. Let's pop it up here. Should have done this before the show, but you know what? Let's quickly make things happen here on TKS. Jump over to the Carolina Hurricanes page. Brett Pesci. He is getting paid this season. Just checking it out here. Brett Pesci. He's getting paid. $4.025 $4.025 million. We're doing this math live, folks, because unfortunately I didn't want to come up with a number because you know what? Why not? Let's go here. Calculator. All right. 4.025. And we'll divide that by, let's go. Oh gosh, we'll do it by five. That is, nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what? We have to do the full number. Four point, let's say four, zero, two, five, one, two, three, divided by five, one, two, three. That is literally, what, 8% of his contract? 8% of his contract. No, that is not even. That's like 0.08 of his contract. What in the world is this? It's ridiculous. $5,000, $5,000 to me, that's a bit of coin. I'm not, I'm buying a new car if I hear that I need a $5,000 bill to fix my Subaru. I'm getting a new car at that point. Brett Pesci, who's getting paid over $4 million, five grand is a tax write-off. But that's still, despite the intent to injure, the kick, the sweep, the leg, the dangerous play that could have put Fabry on the shelf for a long time. Fabry, who has had injury problems over his entire career, which has derailed the potential that he had when he was back in St. Louis, now with the poor Red Wings, could have done worse to that guy. But that wasn't even the worst thing that happened last week. Boston and Washington, a rivalry that I did not think we were going to have this season, despite, yes, the Dane O'Chara going off to the dreaded Capitals after a long extended career as the captain of the Boston Bruins. Trent Frederick, have you heard of this kid? He's a young guy, a little bit of a spunk to him. Not Hasn't done anything Brad Marchand-esque yet. However, you can tell he's getting under the skin of other teams, and if the Leafs have to play Boston, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hate him. However, you know what? I give him the Matthew Kachuk look right now. He plays tough. He can play on the power play. All right, I'll give him a chance here before he does something stupid. However, he's trying to get up in Alexander Ovechkin's kitchen. Ovechkin, who is no slouch himself, he's a little bit of a tough cat, likes to throw the body around. He's got in a couple fights. Poor Andre Sveshnikov remembers that a little bit, by the way. 
That was also the game where Brett Pesci decided to try to go after the back of the knee and try to end Robbie Fabry's season. Yeah, that was the first game ever between Andre and Evgeny Sveshnikov. Good job there, Gino. Got on the ice, Sveshnikov, the other one, the younger Andre, scored twice in that game, so it didn't go well for the older Gino. However, Trent Fedrick went after Ovechkin. And Ovechkin says, I've had enough of this one, children. What does he do? He takes his stick. I think it's CCM. Who cares? He goes between the legs and right between the legs of Frederick knocking him down. Despite the blatant intent to injure, $5,000. All right, kids. Superstar player. Chops a guy between the legs. Cowbells him. 5K. Brett Pesci going after... Yes, a probably a considerably washed up Robbie Fabry, 5K. However, jo- Joachim Blitchfield gets two games for hitting Nathan McKinnon. And I get it. You want to protect the star players in this league. However, don't you want to protect the players as a whole? Don't you want to let the players know that, hey, it doesn't matter who you are. If you do something stupid, you're going to get penalized for it. Not that you're going to get a slap on the wrist if you're Alex and Ovechkin. However, if you give a guy a concussion, but he's a star player, he gets two games. But Yoel Armia, on the other hand, Tyler Myers hitting him, that's okay. And then, to cap it all off, Tom Wilson decides to make an appearance. Because apparently he felt left out in all this news with the NHL Department of Player Safety. It felt like it had been a while for him. So the puck gets chipped into the corner in the Boston zone. Brandon Carlo going back for it. He's doing battle. I forget which capital it was. Oh, it's Verona. Excuse me. Rockab Verona? Jakob Verona, excuse me. With the capitals. He turns away, looks to go into the near side corner. Tom Wilson decides to come in. And let me tell you, kiddos, he runs him into the boards. And Carlo goes loopy right away. Into the boards. Head into the boards. He ends up getting concussion, has to go to the hospital for the concussion. And Tom Wilson gets, during the game, nothing. However, here comes the Department of Player Safety storming in, riding in like it's the Calvary. Coming in there with the horns blaring and everything. We're going to have an offer, an in-person hearing for Tom Wilson, which means, kids, it's going to be a big suspension. Let's go make an example out of this Yahoo. Seven games. Seven games for Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson, who George Perro said, had he kept doing all the stupid stuff he was doing, it was going to be tripled. Because remember, when he brained Oscar Sundquist in the preseason back in 2018, he got 20 games. All right. Yes, it got freaking brought down to 14 because that stupid third-party arbitrator that the players union or the players association is allowed to have which was an absolute gong show of a decision i get it it's part of what the the player association has to to try to fight suspensions and whatever but when you say as the department of player safety if you say that you're gonna continue to penalize and the next time he does something stupid you're gonna punish him more severely and then instead of tripling it because apparently that was the rumor that he would triple the next time Tom Wilson did something instead of tripling it you do the complete opposite and you bring it down by about a third what are you actually saying here are you not even trying do you not remember what you say George is that those punches to the head kind of making a little bit woozy huh are you trying to do you forget what's going on 
Do you kind of sometimes get a little bit hazy about your memory of what it was like to get knocked down and have to get stretched off the ice in a fight with Colton Or Do you have to remember that? Did someone have to show you the video to remember that? To, for someone to have to tell you to remember, hey, remember what you said about Tom Wilson? Did someone not tell him that going into that? No, yes, there have been a lot of people that have come out and said, oh, but he wasn't charging into the corner. You're right. He did not stride in from the top of the circle. John Scott today on his podcast, he said, there was nothing wrong with that hit. I love John Scott. That man inspired me on how everything played out during the 15-16 season. And what he said is true. Was Tom Wilson skating into that corner full speed? No, he was not. You're right. No, he wasn't. I'll give him that. Shouldn't be charging. I, I called out Frank Saravelli on TSN because he said he went shoulder first and then he followed through. Okay, that's true. And I said, well, that should be charging, right? Okay, watching it back, you're right. Not charging. Boarding? Is that why it's only seven games? Because watch the playback, kids. I can't, unfortunately, because I don't have those video rights with the National Hockey League yet. And after this rant, I probably won't be in good sitting with the league in general. However, look at the problems we're having here as we're looking at Tom Wilson coming into the corner. Tom Wilson, when you go into the corner like that after a defenseman, post-2005, we'll say, you go into the corner and you kind of sometimes will let up, right? Maybe you'll throw a firm check, but Tom Wilson wasn't looking for a body check. Look at his eyes. Watch that play in slow-mo and tell me that Tom Wilson isn't trying to see if Brandon Carlo has any earwax hanging out of his ear. He is looking right for that visor of the Boston defenseman. Don't tell me that Tom Wilson wasn't looking for something. Don't tell me that Tom Wilson had the bullseyes and going right for the noggin of Brandon Carlo. Because if he wasn't going for the head, I don't care if the fact that, oh, he hit his shoulder first. Yes, because Brandon Carl has a big wingspan. He's not a small guy. He's got these long arms, so that's why it hit him in the shoulder first. But look where Tom Wilson followed through into. If you're going to go for a body check, you angle him off. You don't go full speed into the boards like you're playing NHL 21 and you're only going to get a two-minute boarding call because it's a video game. Tom Wilson was deliberately going in that corner and he knew what he was doing. Don't tell me he didn't charge because he wasn't skating into the corner. Don't tell me he got shoulder first. That's why it's on a head check. Don't tell me any of this Bush League nonsense that Tom Wilson didn't know what he was doing when he was going to that corner. Good on Jared Tenority, who was only playing in his second game with the Bruins, by the way. Jared Tenority, former Montreal Canadian, stepping up for his new teammate who had to go to the stinking hospital. But it's only seven games, though. And I don't want to hear any of this, oh, it's a shortened season, it's a prorated suspension. Bull! Absolute bull. There is no excuse. Rafi Torres' career is over because of the fact he continuously got suspended for high and dangerous hits. Tom Wilson's allowed to play in this National Hockey League because the league continues to give him pass after pass after pass. But that suspension against Sunquist, Tyler... Yes, and it got shot down. It got chopped down to 14 games. But yes, it was 20. And I said it before. That was the one time that I thought George Peros was actually trying to do something. After the absolute laundry list of players that Tom Wilson left out in the 2018 playoffs. Zach Aston Reese. His face had to be reconfigured after that hit in that series against Pittsburgh. Don't tell me that Tom Wilson 
is a better player than he used to be. Is a cleaner player than he used to be. I'm sorry. When Ryan Reeves dinged him a couple years back, I'm sorry that I kind of smirked a little bit when it happened. I don't feel bad for that. Because Tom Wilson has an absolute computer sheet long list of players that he has gone after with high dangerous hits. If Tom Wilson was a foot shorter and maybe 25 pounds, 50 pounds lighter, you're right. Maybe we're not having this discussion because he doesn't hit guys as hard. But he's six foot, what, six four, two twenty? He's coming around. He's the same size as an NFL tight end or linebacker, absolutely teeing off on players with high hits. Carlo has to go to the hospital. It was known that he was transferred to the hospital before the hearing with Tom Wilson by the NHL Department of Player Safety. And for some reason, it was still only a seven-game suspension. He should be done for the season. The regular season, if you really want to get into that. Because that'd at least be like, what, 30 games at that point. If you really want to do that. But allowing a guy to show up in a couple weeks, gutless. Absolutely gutless. And the fact that there wasn't even a boarding call on the ice during the game. What are the refs looking at there? Is it because Carlo actually was kind of able to get up on his own? Oh, it can't be that bad, guys, because clearly Carlo who's being monitored by training staff as he's got the gosh darn deer in the headlights look as he's gliding off the ice. Paul Correa is probably watching that thinking to himself, man, I remember exactly how that feels. Hello, Scott Stevens. Nice to see you. How you doing? That has happened before in this league. It's not 1995. Players should be protected better than they are now, but the league continues to allow these players to run around the chicken like their heads cut off so they can try to take other players' heads off like Tom Wilson and they still, still having a laundry list of players having a gaff concussions. He's week to week. Hopefully, he's only week to week. After going to the hospital, I can't stress enough. Leaves fan, guy wearing a Canuck shirt, defending a Boston Bruin. Because unfortunately, there's someone's livelihood that was at stake because the league lets some dumb schmuck run around without any possible reason for supplemental discipline. They let him run around because he knows he can get away with it. And the gall, the unmitigated gall of Alexander Ovechkin to come out and say, that was a joke. That suspension's a joke. Peter Laviolette, well, I hope we have him back the next game. Are you all stupid? What's in the water there in D.C.? Holy cow. If you think that's a joke, Ovechkin... Why? Because, oh, because Trent Frederick got it in your face a little bit and would show that he was not afraid to play against the great eight Alexander Ovechkin. Kick rocks with flip-flops, Ovi. I don't care if you think it's a joke. Just because of the fact that you're not the one that got hit. God forbid, oh my gosh, could you imagine? Let's just say Tom, let's think hypothetically here. Tom Wilson isn't a schmuck that plays for the Capitals. He's a schmuck that plays for, well, we'll go with Boston in the scenario, okay? He, Jack Edwards, on the call. Here's Ovechkin coming across the middle. Oh, and Tom Wilson catches him up high. Ovechkin does a backflip. Oh, man, he looks like Mark Savard. But since it's a Boston Bruin and it's Ovi, oh, man, who cares? Because that's probably what Jack Edwards would have done. However, Tom Wilson, because he hit a guy like Alexander Ovechkin, that's probably 50 games, right? Because he hit Ovechkin. He didn't hit Brandon Carlo, despite being a good, solid defenseman in his own right. 
I'm sorry, Ovi, that we've learned over the past week with your lack of a suspension for trying to go after someone's family jewels that you don't get suspended. I'm sorry that you're a protected player in this league because a lot of people, myself included, want you to go after that goal, the all-time NHL goals, going after 900 goals in the league because we think you can do it. However, with your judge of character, we hope you don't. We hope you go back to the KHL when your contract ends because if that's how you think the game should be played... All right, go play for the Mafia there back in Mother Russia. Go ahead and do that because clearly you don't care about the safety of other players. Imagine if, imagine if Nicholas Backstrom gets brained. Next game against Boston. He comes down the wing, cuts across the middle. Charlie McAvoy catches him up high. But McAvoy only gets six games for knocking out one of your best players. What are you going to say? Oh, it should be more. Or however the heck his accent is. I'm not going to try to do a Russian accent. But he should be more suspended. It should be a longer suspension for that, right? I'm sorry. Oh, shoot. Did Backstrom go to the hospital too? You're right. Backstrom's a star player in this league. That would actually get a viable suspension. Unlike the hit Tom Wilson puts on Brandon Carlo. Only seven games. There is no consistency with this Department of Player Safety. Every single week, every single questionable hit just proves that George Peros, with an Ivy League degree, has the same education as a junior college associate's degree. I don't get it. Book smart or street smart? He's clearly not street smart because I would think that would make sense that Tom Wilson should get suspended for a couple more than seven games. Oh, it's prorated. It's only a 56-game season. Kick my absolute stinking fat boulder with open-toed shoes. Trying not to say kick rocks with flip-flops, because unfortunately you can't see the same thing twice. But I pretty much just did. Regardless, I don't understand the malfunction with this department of player safety. Clearly, it's a lack thereof. Clearly, they don't care if a player goes to the hospital. Oh, it's a case-by-case basis. Well, Tom Wilson has a list of questionable hits, suspensions, Fines, what have you. This is not his first offense. This is not his fifth offense or fifth offense. He has had a multiple number of offenses over his, let's be honest, still fairly brief career. Yet, God forbid, you actually punish the man for what he deserves. The NHL Department of Player Safety. Here I am again, saying it. I'll say it before, I'll say it again. Fire that whole thing, burn it down to the ground, and start over. Build up from its ashes, because I'll be honest with you guys, it doesn't make sense with the list, with the group they have now. I'll never understand it. I truly never will understand it. We'll take a break, folks. I'll simmer down a little bit. Thank God there was no coffee involved, because that could have been a lot worse. Take a break when we come back. Talk some more hockey. We'll get on the women's side of things. We'll talk about the Flames a little bit more and how they've actually been doing statistically. And we'll also talk about the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association showcase that they had in Chicago this past weekend and the breaking news, not the breaking news, but the news of the day coming out of the National Women's Hockey League. We'll take a break and we'll come back with more of the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. Tyler Kula here on this Monday, March the 8th. The band you just heard is the band you hear on our title song, Mondays. It's called My Onlap Mondays. It's a perfectly suited tune. Apropos intro music. 
and outro music for the TKS because, well, we're here every Monday night. Apparently, I scared the dog in that last segment. Scared Wixie Girl, Haley Wickenizer Kuehl. Because apparently when I start yelling and screaming like that, apparently she gets a little bit nervous. And apparently all the clapping I did spooked her. So on behalf of all the puppers in the world, I do apologize if you're watching at home or listening and you just start hearing someone starts clapping and screaming and your dog starts running for the hills. I do apologize on that front. I, 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 I don't know. I, I really hope, I really, truly hope everyone, despite as fun as it is to yell and scream at people, I don't want to do that again. It's the third time I've gone after the Department of Player Safety this season. It's really getting annoying at this point. But let's jump around now, hit up some news and notes at this time. So we talked a little bit about off the top of the broadcast that with Cody Jansen, the Calgary Flames, firing Jeff Ward after a very lackluster start to the season and Daryl Sutter taking over. This is not just Daryl Sutter coming in for the interim to try to figure this team out for the rest of the season. No, no, nay, nay. Three-year contract signed by Daryl Sutter. This is a marriage that's going to last a while now, kids. And I'll be honest, when I'm talking with Cody, you're right. Maybe this team will work and will thrive under Daryl Sutter because they have the guys that like to play Daryl Sutter hockey. Not just the Giordanos, the Lucic's, the Andersons, but the Matthew Kachucks. And, you know, a little bit of Sam Bennett, a little bit of zest in there with Mr. Bennett. A guy that's been healthy scratch throughout this season because of his, I guess, not fitting the mold for Jeff Ward standards. So now it is the game now of trying to turn this team back around. Daryl Sutter's first practice with the team will be on Tuesday. Sutter's been kind of sitting on the outside, A, testing to make sure he can be on the team, B, also just trying to figure out what he should do to try to help this team turn things back around. The Flames are 3-5-2 and two in their last 10 games. They have lost They lost their third game to the Senators recently. Yesterday, they are sitting at just a couple points, only three points out of a playoff spot right now behind Montreal, sitting fifth in the North Division, the Scotia North. They're not out of it. They just need to figure it out. Does that make sense? Like I said, they have a little bit of an interesting stretch here. They have two games against Montreal, which could be which will be vital now in this playoff push, given the fact that the Canadians are the team that's holding that fourth spot at the moment. Then you have a couple against Edmonton, the Battle of Alberta, an opportunity to really show maybe in the short term if this team has been quickly turned around and maybe will be able to figure things out to show that they can get back in a playoff spot. Because if they can play well against the Oilers, well, there you go. That's exactly what you need. But then you go to back-to-back on the road against Toronto. Calgary and Toronto had a couple of close games. That Tor- Calgary actually won in Toronto last month. So the Flames have shown that they can play against the Leafs. They can force them to play a little bit uncomfortable hockey. So I think Calgary has that going for them. A lot of hockey to be played. A lot of hockey to be played despite we're reaching the halfway mark of the season, the regular season. I want to think that the Flames can turn it around. I just, I love the chaos in this Scotia Bank North, excuse me, Scotia North Division. Not Scotia Bank North Division, Scotia North Division. And 
just checking the Twitter here to see how the comments are. Nick Alberga just tweeted this out. Nick Alberga, who we had a couple on a couple weeks ago here on TKS. Six games on this Monday on the National Hockey League. Zero at 7 or 7.30, which is hilarious because the league has done a really good job of making sure there's like 10 games at 7 or 7.30, but now there's none. The first one tonight is technically an 8 o'clock puck drop up in St. Paul, Minnesota taking on Vegas. We'll get to that when we get to our what to watch for here the latter half of the show this evening. But yeah, it's a little bit tough because usually I'm used to to having a game on in here, whether it be the Leafs or whatever the game is, the free game on NHL.TV or ESPN+. Plus. Yes, folks, I know. How dare you, Tyler? Only do the cheap games. Well, you got ESPN+. Plus. I got ESPN+, Plus for a couple reasons. One, you get to watch whatever you want, ESPN-wise, the 30 for 30s, but you also get to watch college hockey, at least the ECAC. And Liberty Liberty University as well, their ACHA team, because they're always on there. But also, you get NHL games throughout. And in a normal year, hopefully this year, fingers crossed, you get the CFL as well. That's what I'm really excited for. You can also watch cricket as well. Cricket! Yeah! I don't understand it, but it looks fun. And also, I got to watch the Briar as well. That's going on right now. And I should probably turn that on, actually. But let's jump around. So go back to the, the North Division as I reach awkwardly around everything to turn stuff on here in, in the in the studio. I, I'm i intrigued to try to figure out what is happening with the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal, who is a really good hockey club, but they just haven't played like it recently. I picked them to finish second in this division. And this was before the season. Now, granted, yes, I had incredibly low expectations for the Edmonton Oilers. I picked the Edmonton Oilers to finish last in this division, guys. I picked them to finish last. Because I thought Koskinen and Smith, not a chance. I thought Ottawa, Kachuk, with Matt Murray as the goaltender, and good Branson on the back end, and you have Tim Stutzla, Chuck, Thomas Shabbat. Ottawa's going to be great. Now they've started to play a little bit better as of late, but losing hot Sam Bacho out of the lineup for a little bit didn't help, and Matt Murray's sub-900 save percentage wasn't doing them much good. So, regardless of the fact, they don't, they're not playing well, and that leads to the firing of their goaltending coach, Stefan Waite. And which is very odd, but obviously it wasn't working out between Carey Price and Stefan Waite. They, the reports coming in from multiple sources that I know, they're saying that it wasn't Carey Price outright coming to Bergevin and saying, I want him gone. It was a mixture of the goaltending wasn't, has not been good, and I guess there have been visual disagreements and philosophies between Price and the goaltending coach Waite. So... It's it's interesting what they do from here. Sean Burke gets hired in. I don't think... Was he hired in as the goaltending coach? He's hired in to help out. He was a goaltending consultant and a pro scout for the Canadians while also being a big part of Hockey Canada for their recruitment for the World Junior Programs, the World Championship teams, and is being looked at as possibly being a guy that's going to be a big part of Team Canada's 2022 Olympics roster. So... Uh, it's a, for him, it's a little bit of a step back because Burke, I know Sean Burke I'm talking about, really wants to be a GM in this league. 
but right now, just lack of jobs, lack of opportunity, lack of opportunity. As some dingus coach up in Saskatoon might say, I forget where he coaches now, but it's an opportunity for him to at least stay in the game and stay relevant. Because hey, if Bergevin doesn't figure this out, kids, guess what? There may be an opening there in Quebec. So there you go. And I think Sean Burke, the tough part for Sean Burke, though, I think you need to have a an English speak or a, a dual, a multi-language, bilingual coach that or general manager that speaks English and French. So maybe Burke's out of the running there, but at least he can be around it. So maybe he'll get a recommendation when a job does open back up. I don't know if Burke was in the running for that Pittsburgh job before Ronnie Hextall got hired. I never heard his name thrown out there, but maybe a team that's a younger team, you know, maybe Florida been a good chance for him, but maybe the next opening Sean Burke gets a job. But right now his job is to make sure Carey Price is able to bounce back and help out the Montreal Canadiens. Because as of right now, and I know we've talked about it with Brian Mudrick, and he tried to shoot it down right away, but kids, we are at a full-blown goaltending controversy in Montreal. Because you have one goaltender, Carey Price, who has not been playing well. He is not the Carey Price. He's not the all-world goaltender. Then again, he's not been an all-world goaltender for a couple of years. But here's the thing. He looked like maybe he was going to be, you know, a 915, 920 goaltender and able to win you some hockey games by himself. He has not done that. Jake Allen, on the other hand, his numbers much more suffice. Looking a lot better. Looking a lot more confident. Maybe the change of scenery is what he needed. And maybe it's the lack of expectation for him is what is helping him at this time. Maybe the fact that, hey, an opportunity to just be a 1B goaltender, take the seat back. No expectations playing here in Montreal. Let's just have some fun. Now, if it turns into the fact where they start playing him on a more nightly basis, that may turn back into where Jake Allen is a starting goaltender, and then all of a sudden you have to worry about him facing the pressure of the Montreal media for being the number one guy in Montreal. It ain't easy being a goaltender for Le Habitant. It is a very difficult job. Now, yes, over the years, who have been their goaltender? Because they've really, the Canadians have really, let's look, think of it this way, guys. Outside of the 80s before WAW, look at the goaltenders they have had who have been their number one guys. Ready for this? Let's go to Patrick WAW. He gets traded in 95, the infamous game where he's never going to play ever again, looks at Mario Tremblay, says, screw you, and probably in a couple of languages, and tells Molson behind the bench, I'm never going to play for the Habs again. Gets traded. Who do they get in return? Jocelyn Tebow. Tebow, who was their goaltender for a couple years until some kid by Josie Theodore comes along. Theodore was a mainstay then for about five, six years. And who comes over from there? Cristobal Huey. <laughs> Cristobal Huey and Carey Price, both kind of, that was a 1A, 1B. Really early on in the, I guess, that kind of concept of having a 1A, 1B goaltendering duo in the National Hockey League. Huey had some good moments, but then you know what? Carey Price is going to be our guy. Huey goes to Chicago. Carey Price is still there. Halak comes in. And steals the show in the 2010 playoffs. And all right, Carey Price is gone. He is gonzo. We are ready. Rod Smith recorded the piece to the trade that was going to send him away. The piece was recorded. The breaking news piece was recorded. It was done. It was cut. It was ready to be submitted. And then all of a sudden, Yaroslav Halak gets traded to St. Louis. Carey Price stays. Carey Price then has a couple of good years. Uh, 2012 was a little bit of an off, off year for the Canadians, but... 
2013, one of the best in the conference, best in the league. 2014, they make it to the final four. Chris Kreider takes over his knee. 2015, he was a Hart Trophy winner. 2016, gets hurt. 2017, they win the division. 2018, he gets hurt again. 2019 sucks. 2020, they 2020, they come around. They win a division. They win a round in the qualifying round, and they come back with expectations. And Carey Price, we can officially say, since Patrick Waugh has been the guy in Montreal for a long period of time. However, every good story comes to an end. Now, yes, Patrick Waugh was a little bit better. He won two Stanley Cups, two Consmite trophies, Vesnas. Carey Price won a couple of Vesnas, but Carey Price never won the Cup. He won a gold medal, Olympic gold medal. He also won a World Cup gold medal, World Cup championship 2016. I don't know if he's ever won a world championship, but he's a world junior goaltender as well. World junior gold goaltender. However, is are we should we be done with Carey Price? I don't know if this is a question that's been asked yet. And maybe this is just the fact that, oh my gosh, Carey Price is playing bad. And all we need is Carey Price to come back and storm back into it with four amazing starts. 37 saves, 48 saves, 62 saves, 100 saves. Four wins, two shutouts. Boom, Carey Price is an all-world goaltender again. Maybe that will change within a week. However, the trend has been since that since he got hurt and after the Hart Trophy season. Over the last five years, Carey Price's play, his quality of play, has gone down dramatically. And it's at the point now where as great as Carey Price has been for this franchise, is it time to move on? Now, granted, yes. The Canadians, after had it took a while to get Hart Trophy, Jose Tador in there and starting to play consistently well. However, maybe you need those couple years with a new goaltender. I don't know if Caden Primo is going to be your guy. He may not be your guy. He was a good college goaltender, but... You got to try to start somewhere. You need to find a way to start because that's really the first thing. Patrick Waugh probably could have played until 2003 in Montreal, and they may have been a team of mediocrity for that entire time. Because let's be honest, you talk about, oh my gosh, how could Montreal trade Patrick Waugh? Did you not see that 95-96 team? They were not that good at all. They were bad. They They were not, okay, they weren't awful, but they were not you know, the Montreal Canadiens of the early 90s or the late 80s, right? That 93 team was almost as unexpected as the 86 team to win the Cup. 86 maybe a little bit more because Patrick Watt at that point was still a rookie. Yet, like 92 when they were the best team in the league, 91 when they were solid, 89 when they made it to the finals but lost to Calgary. That Those teams were really good. However, you know, it's really tough to look at it, right? Because you wonder what what it's going to take. Do you have to trade Carey Price? Or do you just have to let him? I mean, you can't let him go. His contract goes forever at this point. A quick pop over back over to the old cat friendly here just to see. Because I know it's a long contract. I don't remember it off the top of my head, unfortunately. I know everyone's like, how do you not know this? I just remember it was $10 million for a long period of time. Ten and a half until 2026. Yeah, that's not getting moved. 
Carey Price is a Montreal gold, Montreal Canadiens goaltender for life, and it's going to suck because, unfortunately, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to try to ride out him and Jake Allen for the next couple of years? Allen's a free agent after 2023? Can you give me the Roku, hon? Can you go get the Roku? It should be attached to the TV. No, you don't. What? Kelly's asking me if she looks fat right now, and it's kind of... I mean, she's handing me her passport here. No, it's a passport photo. Can it... Can, no, no. Show don't show it. Okay, so Kelly just walked into the studio here like she likes to do. This is not immediately after a... a, a um, it's not immediately after an interview, which is so unlike her, by the way. But she comes in with her passport... How many glasses of wine have you had? I'm sober. She's sober. Okay. Look at the difference. Oh. She, my other one. Oh, this is your new one. Okay, so she handed me her new one. Okay, the one that you, your old one was your maiden name. It literally looks like you're a serial killer. The other one just looks like you're like, all right, I'm taking this photo because I have to. I prefer the one that doesn't make you look like you're. They can't see it. It's far enough away. Just all right. I, I'm showing it like this. See that bald eagle? It's a beautiful bald eagle. So they can't see it, but. It's it's like me censoring it because it's got like all, well it's got like all your numbers right. Yes. I prefer this one because it doesn't look like you're gonna murder the person taking the photograph. You're not fat. Oh my gosh! How many times do I have to tell you the most beautiful woman in the world? You are the reason uh, we went over this. I would not be wearing this ring right now if you were not attractive. And yes, there she is. What are you doing? Putting it away. Oh, putting it away. That's a good idea. Put it in a safe spot. But seriously, this is the most beautiful woman in the world. Every day I have to remind her of it because apparently I don't get it, Kelly. I love you. You are hot as hell. Well, I have to yell because apparently talking to you about it's not getting through. I got to yell and tell her you're the most amazing. I hope everyone hears that I say that you are the most beautiful woman in the world. That photo when you're six years old is like terrifying. Sixth grade. sixth grade. Six and sixth grade. What's the difference, right? You're, you're really young. She showed me her, her initial passport. Gosh, Kelly, you're... Three of the passports are yours. One is you as a child. The other two, one looks like you're trying to kill somebody. The other one's just you taking a photo. But oh my gosh, because seriously, has anyone ever taken a good driver's license photo or government documentation photo? No one ever has, Kelly. There are one from this side. Yes, because I actually cleaned up beforehand because we had to find, I mean, it's better than. Oh, my hockey one? Oh. Literally the one when I came back from Lucknow. Because when I lived in Lucknow, there was no grooming. I, I took baths. I took showers after games. But in terms of haircuts, shaving, there was none of that in Lucknow. This, like, well, the because I posted the photo today on my Facebook. I shared the memory because the, the not yes, not today, but four, no, five years ago, yesterday, I play, or we went to Toronto for the first time. When the car broke down and everything right in front of the hotel on Jarvis yeah, Street. Oh, when you know you're about to get some? That's literally every other, like every other 18-year-old's look and like, oh, man. You were 20. I'm saying, uh, I was, no, I was 20. Not, oh, yeah, I was 21. Because it was right after we got knocked out of the playoffs. I came home for a week and a half and we went to Toronto. Broke the car down right in front of the Econo Lodge, right at Jarvis and, oh, I forgot what the street it was. Thankfully, there was a, a, a mechanic, literally kitty corner to the hotel. Story time here with Kelly and Tyler. Kelly's over here because apparently, I, I, I don't know. You like to come in here all the time. 
We are just cutting across the screen. Yeah, see, she's out of the room. Can you get her out of the room? Okay, anyways. Uh, let's take a quick break, folks, uh, as we have chaos, people running around, and the shots and everything. Show is going off the rails here. But then again, it went off the rails about an hour ago. Regardless, we'll be back with more of the QL show here on 12 Ounce Sports right after this. You do not look fat in the picture. I don't care what anyone says. It's not bad. You are amazing. You are beautiful. You are hot. And I can tell you right now, there are things that I do such as... I am your host here once again, Tyler Kuehl. I had to make sure I had, to, had the recording. Because I... So uh, what happened was, just for, for a quick refresher for you, for why everyone's like, why are you just sitting there, Tyler, doing nothing? Well, I I forgot to hit record at the beginning of the Tom Wilson yelling segment. And I'm trying to record it during the commercial break. And I forgot to start recording once again. I decided, like, I should probably not do that. Because it's bad to, you know, I don't want to stay up too late. Because, uh, like I said, I got to work up in the morning. 2 a.m. Well, I got to be up actually like at 1.30. Literally get up, put clothes on, go. Like, I've made breakfast for tomorrow already. Tomorrow, actually, I think maybe a toaster strudel kind of morning, though. Let's be honest. You know those mornings where you wake up and you're just like, you know what, kids? You're, we're staying up for this. You know, we're, we're gonna, we're, we're not even gonna bother doing, you know, anything else. We're not making breakfast, cereal, toaster strudel, pop tarts, one of those breakfasts. That's what's gonna be tomorrow. Pop tarts. I, I had, I, I used to be a very plump kid and it's, it's weird because people look at me now and are like, oh my gosh, how you're so skinny, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, and when I was in high school, I was the same way. But when I was like in, gosh, you know, middle school, like fifth and sixth grade, seventh grade, I got a little chunk on him because I had this problem. I ate a lot. <laughs> I just, I mean, I still do, but I didn't like work out nearly as much. So I, and I had a lot of pop tarts and cause I know how dangerous those can be when you're eating them and whatnot. It, it turns into a, uh, a bit of a disaster, a little bit terrifying because I, I eat so many of them that sometimes I just kind of forget. Like I've literally, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm not the only person that's ever done this. However, I have literally eaten an entire box of Oreos before. Literally. I, I, I'm not, I'm not saying like, Oh my gosh, how could you ever do it? Well, it's, it happens. It, I've done it before. And it's, it's one day, like the sugar crash of all sugar crashes. Because I, I just sometimes I, I have that problem. I used to have that problem a lot. I still eat a lot of food now. I don't eat as much sweets. It's a lot more greasy food. Like Kelly made these buffalo chicken egg rolls the last couple nights. And let me tell you, oh, man, these things are good. They are so good because they're deep fried. Well, not deep fried. They're deep. They're fried in a cast iron pan. They're good. They're healthy for you-ish because <laughs> we eat a lot of them. You know, because we made it with Frank's and even Kelly likes them. She's not a big buffalo chicken person. Either. She likes the barbecue sauce and whatnot, but she makes this stuff up and it's actually really good. Kelly, who, when I met her, could barely put together a grilled cheese sandwich, now is cooking like three course meals and stuff. And it's amazing. She she makes a really good cobbler, good like a peach cobbler. I'm not a big peach guy. She makes a really good peach cobbler in the crock pot. So. If you ever make your way into West Michigan, back, you know, when eventually when we all get vaccinated and we all can hang out together, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a cobbler off. A cobbler off? We're gonna have a cobble fest. That's better. Cobble fest. Cobble fest where everyone makes their favorite cobblers, and Kelly's cobbler will be the best, because I don't care what anyone else says. Peach cobbler is amazing. Hers. Hers in particular. 
So let's let's jump over to the women's hockey side because today is International Women's Day here, March the eighth, twenty twenty one, and we've had it's been an inter- interesting couple of days. First, let's get to the news that came out not today but recently: the NCAA Women's Division One National Championship National Tournament bracket has been released. And only eight teams this year, obviously, because, well, you really can't have a big old tournament. This year, it's going to be on ESPN, the finals and semifinals. That's really exciting. They start up next week. Maybe we'll do a little bit of a preview because they actually start next Monday. So maybe we'll go back to our college hockey scoreboard, maybe? Maybe, possibly. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But here are the matchups as they are listed as of now. Monday, number one Northeastern. By far the best team, the number one team in the country. Hockey East dominating Northeastern Huskies, taking on number eight, Robert Morris, a pretty good team in their own right. Also, number four, Colgate, the best team coming out of the ECAC, a team that, I'll be honest with you, going into the season, I was excited for Colgate, but I didn't think they were going to jump Clarkson like they did. They'll be number four, taking on Minnesota Duluth on Tuesday, number three, Ohio State versus number six, Boston College, and number two, Wisconsin, taking on number seven, Providence. All of those games in the first round, I think they're all, yes, they are, All are in Erie, Pennsylvania, where the Erie Otters play out there. And this is an interesting tournament. There's some people that, uh, Marissa Ngemi, who actually we'll get to her in a second. She wrote the recap for the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association Chicago Showcase. She said that Minnesota should have been over Boston College. And yeah, maybe. I, I think the biggest problem there was that, if I'm not mistaken, Boston College... I need to make sure before I say something here. The problem, I think, with Minnesota, what happened to them was because they lost in the semifinals in the WCHA tournament. Had they, if you ask me, had they won or even gotten to the final, it may have been different. I'm just taking a look at Boston College's schedule here before I get too far out of whack. Boston College lost to, well, they lost to UConn. Wow, okay. Maybe she has a point here. Maybe she has a point. Boston College was up there in the rankings for a lot of the part of the season, though. Maybe that's why, because there is a there. Despite the WCHA with Ohio State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Duluth, really big powers out there. Minnesota State's actually had a pretty good year as well in their own right. The WCHA sometimes still gets overlooked by Hockey East because the Eastern bias, even in college hockey, is very prevalent, and that's why I think BC gets the bid over Minnesota. Had that been a normal year when you maybe can get 16 or maybe an extended field, then possibly. Um, obviously, there's not nearly as many women's hockey Division One programs than there are at the men's side of things, which is maybe why they can only have eight teams this year in particular. But I feel like you can expand the field a little bit, make it a little bit more interesting, have it maybe have two regionals, don't have the full, you know, 14 or 16 that the men's have. But you know, there's there's always room for opportunity. And, you know, obviously this year with eight teams, I, I'm i not going to give my picks yet because I'm going to make sure that we'll save that for next week because this weekend's the men's conference tournaments. A lot of those go on this weekend. ECAC's, I believe, is next weekend, not this coming weekend. So we won't really get into much of those as well. We're going to definitely do a lot of tournament preview for that as well. So next week we'll talk about the women's Frozen Four preview. Maybe we'll get someone to talk about that on next Monday's program. Going over to the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association, the Chicago Showcase. Nicole Hensley, looking really good. Nicole Hensley, the goaltender for the Americans. I, 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 I like the way that she looks. has been looking over the showcase. And 
I, I'm really... The Americans going into the World Championships this year. Right now, it looks like they're getting pushed back to May up in Halifax. But man, the America as good as Canada has in terms of talent with, you know, still having Poulin around and Decker and Daou, the Americans are looking really good. They have a great goaltender here in Hensley, Kendall Coyne Schofield. Like I've said, she looks like she can outskate half the guys in the National Hockey League. She is absolutely on fire. She's had a great one. But the story continues with Abby Rock. She now has 10 points over the four showcase games. Minnesota, by the way, winning both games over the weekend, I believe by a combined score. Yes, 10 to 3. They won Saturday at the United Center. That game was on nationally broadcasted on NBC Sports and Sportsnet in Canada. Sunday over at Fifth Third Arena, which is Fifth Third Bank Arena, which is the practice facility of the Chicago Blackhawks. Minnesota winning there as well. Abby Rock is just turning it because there was a lot of talk that she was going to make the U.S. team just because of how young she is. But she's really shown that she's going to be a player that may not just be a girl that makes the team, but a player that makes an impact on this team. I'm really excited to see and see how this program continues to build with the, the continuing development of players. You know, Canada is trying to find, trying to bring in, some, trying to get a youth movement in a little bit. But they're a little bit holding on to the old guard. I, man, it's it's so hard to look at the upcoming world championships and say it's hard to say Canada can win this one. It's not, it's very difficult to not look at the US and be like, all right, this is the favorite. The Americans have all its momentum going in. I would be remiss if I didn't say that that team was the favorite. The Americans definitely going into Halifax this year. Knock on wood that we have the tournament this year. It's seemingly all in favor of the Americans. I'm really hoping Canada can get in there and, you know, turn some heads. But obviously Finland, they're looking. I mean, if they can, if they bring a lot of their talent back from the 2019 World Championships, there's an opportunity for them to really show their stuff. Sweden maybe have a couple players that can scare some of the top teams, but it's looking like another Canada-U.S. final. But like I said, you know, there's opportunities for a team to step up and cause an upset or two. But as we talk about International Women's Day, you like to have news in hockey. And I'm really interested because today the news came out that the National Women's Hockey League, the NWHL, is going to come back to finish the 2021 Isabel Cup. That news coming out today. It's going to be awarded on March the 27th. They'll be at Boston's Warrior Ice Arena, which is the practice facility of the Boston Bruins. Exclusive coverage in the United States by the NBC Sports Network, which was going to happen for the semifinals and final when they were in Lake Placid. However, obviously, they just need to find a way to get this thing done. But the way it's going to work, they'll play the 26th and 27th. The games will consist of, they have the, there we go. I was looking for the schedule. On the 26th, the number one seed, Toronto Six, led by their president and head coach, the almighty, powerful, super energetic, despite no matter how old she gets, she still has all the fire within, Digit Murphy, taking on the number four seed, Boston Pride. A playoff game between Toronto and Boston. Guys, I don't know if I can handle this. Listen. Boston, I the thing with Boston during, you know, obvi- this is going to be a, 
you really you look at the seeding, and they're gonna go off what they had at the end of Lake Placid. I get that. But there's so many X factors and such a massive eight ball going into this thing because you don't know what these teams have been doing in this time. Obviously, we talked with Dan Rice a couple weeks ago from the hockey writers. We meant we were talking about how teams are just trying to get healthy again because a lot of players ended up getting COVID in that bubble, quote unquote bubble. But Toronto, we really saw a team that whether it was catching the other teams by surprise or just playing better, like Ayla Grant Mentis and you know, they, they had a, a great goaltending performance. The six looked like the best team. I don't think anyone was questioning it. The Metropolitan Riveters, I think, may have been the team to really give them a challenge, but they had to pull out really early in the tournament. Boston's problem going in, and like I said, this is we'll get more of a breakdown, more of maybe a preview when we get closer to the 26th, so the week before, which I think would be the 25th, 21st? What's 14 days from now? 22nd, 20, the March 22nd show of TKS here on 12 on sports. I'm really interested to see what happens there because Boston had a team that just went, they had a great first game, but went dead cold after that for the, re- the remainder of the original preliminary round Robin. But then they go in this three game set with Buffalo and Holy cow. Their offense, I mean, after that first loss, they won the next two games. Their offense came alive, and you just see the pride, and now they're you know, they going to come back rested. They're going to come back ready. This is not a typical one versus four where one team is a lot better than the other. This is going to be a one versus four matchup between two teams that, yes, Toronto beat Boston in that round, Robin, but Boston's coming back, and they, you know, they were hitting on all cylinders heading into that final four, where the pride, I think, would have actually ended up been in the third team when Connecticut pulled out. Uh, I know there's a lot of people in Buffalo that are TO'd about it because the news came out during game three between Boston and Buffalo in that best of three series, see who would actually clinch that fourth spot in the final four that Connecticut pulled out of the tournament. So the game didn't matter. The game was just going to determine who got third place and then the other team would have finished fourth. And now with Connecticut being inserted back in, that game ended up mattering. But I'll tell you right now, for the people that are trying, that are, I don't want to say defending the Buffalo Buttes, but the teams that are coming out and saying that, hey guys, you know, Buffalo, you know, got a, you know, didn't get a fair shake. I don't know if it would have mattered if that was a game, like if that game ended up being a determining factor, if you went back and played it, Boston still won by a lot. Buffalo at the time when they said the Connecticut whale was going to, at least when it became officially announced, when the when the news went live, Boston was absolutely hammering. They were on all cylinders. They were on all cylinders heading in to that game three. I don't think Buffalo would have won that game, even if it meant getting the fourth seed or not. You know, shout out for them for getting a really good game out of the first one of that series, but Boston was just firing everything into the Buffalo goal that uh, game two and game three as well. So I believe Boston is the true number four seed, despite the way it turned out. Obviously it's a, it's a bummer that the Riveters don't get a fair shake as well, because I, I thought, you know, Sonia Kelly was looking really good in that tournament for the in goal for them. I, I believe that they could have been a top two team had they not had the leave due to COVID. And obviously the thing is you can't restart the whole thing. Cause then you're at risk for having the problem with the COVID all over again. That's why they're just like, all right, let's just play these four teams, two games, 
get out of here, let's go. Or three games, obviously. One, you know, the semi, two semifinals and the final. But the two days and get out. That's the plan for this. The other semifinal, the Whitecaps of Minnesota and the Connecticut Whale. Minnesota, the team that came back from a 5-1 def- or 5-0 deficit against the Toronto Six and won a game there that ended up being a big factor for them in terms of getting them into the what would have been the initial Final Four against Connecticut Whale team that, you know, they they were right in the thick of it. They were looking like a team that could have probably stunned the Whitecaps in the Final Four. They turned things around after their first loss, but uh, I I don't know. They're, uh, it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think the Whitecaps have the advantage. I, I, I'll say this. And like I said, it's a complete wild card what happens going into these two games, these two semifinals. If we look back at the numbers, the Toronto-Boston game, if we went back in time, if we did play those semifinals, that one versus four is a lot different because of the fact that Boston was really picking up a lot of momentum. Minnesota, I still favored over Connecticut going into that final four because Connecticut, while they were a team that you know could have obviously stunned the Whitecaps, it just seemed like Minnesota had more fire, firepower. They seemed like they were going to be able to really try to turn some heads, and they could have been a team in the final out of that semifinal. So now, like I said, Connecticut may have been trained. They may be ready. They're all rested, ready to go. They may go in and kick the teeth down and kick the door down over the Whitecaps and may win easily. That could easily happen. But going back, if we're going to look at those numbers back then, then yes, I will say that the Whitecaps are the favorite. Now, of course, we had this problem with the bubble playoffs last year where we all said, ah, but the Edmonton Oilers are better than the Chicago Blackhawks based on the regular season. And then the Chicago Blackhawks are the ones that are actually going into the Stanley Cup playoffs beating the Edmonton Oilers. Same thing with Pittsburgh. Montreal is the worst team heading into this bubble. No chance they beat Pittsburgh. They beat them three straight. So... I think we got to take that grain of salt into this Isabel Cup semifinals because who knows how maybe Toronto Six come out absolutely flat like they did. In, well, now I'm saying they didn't come out flat in that game one against Metropolitan Riveters. They just got stonewalled, but they weren't able to find the back of the net. They couldn't get the grade A chances that they were able to get as the tournament went along, which led to them absolutely just hammering opponents. So, you know, you're, you're right. It could be. Toronto could put six up on the Boston Pride. The Pride could put six up on the six, which would be absolutely the worst thing to happen for me because another playoff game that Boston beats Toronto in. I can't do it again. And Minnesota may easily take one from Connecticut, but Connecticut may still Minnesota. We may have a we may have an old-fashioned Adams Division final between the Connecticut Whale and the Boston Pride which I'm pretty sure everyone that's not named Alf Samuelson will be like, oh boy, this is war. Because Alf Samuelson's like, I don't care. I need Cam Neely, and that's all I do. Because that was the game that was played by lovely and amazing Alf Samuelson. And by amazing, I mean absolute turducken. Alf Samuelson, well, I would like to think Alf Samuelson would be handed supplementary discipline for his work back in the day if he played in today's game. But as we learned in my uh, in our segment earlier today, I, uh, I don't think it matters. <laughs> I don't think what it matters what area you play in. Apparently, you can just hit guys in the head and knee them and kick them in the back of the leg, and you still don't get suspended. So, you know, International Women's Day, it's, it's really cool because there's been a lot of awesome features on women's hockey players. You know, there, there's so many great players that have done a lot for the game. But not just, you know, United States and Canada. I, I remember I... Nora Roddy, the Finnish goaltender, 
she actually joined the national team when she was 16. And a few years later, the 2010 Olympic Games, Finland won a bronze medal. And she was a big part of the 2019 team that made it to the final of the world championships that should have won the gold medal. I still hold that fact. Still, still stand by that. But, you know, her, Alina Mueller is a very young kid. She was 15 years old. She's the youngest Olympic hockey gold medal or gold medalist medalist. They won bronze in the 2014 games in Switzerland. I, I love, you know, the fact that women's hockey is starting to grow. And when we talked with Digit Murphy a couple months ago, should have queued up the interview, but we talked about why Finland winning that game would have done more for women's hockey than it would have if the Americans won. Of course, yeah. Do I want Canada to win this this spring in May in Halifax? Of course. Do the Americans want the United States to win? Of course. But would it mean as much as Finland winning? Would it mean much as the Swiss getting to the final? I don't think so. But I'm not saying that we should cheer for other teams, because obviously if you're cheering for your country, absolutely do what you want to do. I'm not going to stop anyone from doing that. But what I'm saying is the game is growing, and it's exciting to see that. And I think once we're heading in that direction, guys, we hit a little bit of a roadblock. They, I mean, we, as if I have a, I like I'm an influence on the women's game. But the women's hockey is has hit a bit of a roadblock due to this pandemic because every the signs were going. Everyone like that women's hockey league, the pro, the fully functioning pro women's hockey league, the fully salaried, the whole nine yards. That's right around the corner, and budgets get wrecked by the pandemic. But look at all the sponsors that have joined in. Sonnet Insurance, Team Adidas. There's a team called Adidas in the Pro Women's Hockey Players Association Dream Gap Tour. Dick Sporting Goods, Discover with the National Women's Hockey League. Big companies putting big money towards women's hockey for both entities. I'm excited. They're heading in the right direction. They're back on track. Will the timeline be extended a little bit? Yeah, probably. Because here's the thing. Yeah, in order for it to be, you know, more of a global league, leagues uh, or organizations, you got to be allowed to have players play in Canada because they really want to have the Dream Gap Tour. They want to have one Dream Gap Showcase up in Canada before the World Championships. However, as I look at it here, we're on March the 8th. We're two months away from the World Championships, which could obviously definitely change. They could be pushed back to June or whatever, but you know, you want to make sure everyone's ready to go. So you're not going to want to have a Dream Gap Tour in late April when you're like three weeks away from the tournament and risk player. You don't want to have that happen. So I'm interested to see what happens, but it's great because there's so many great names over the years. You know, of course we, you look at the 98 U S Olympic team, Hillary Knight, Cammy Granado. I mean, or Hillary Knights nowadays, but Cammy Granado back in the day, Shelly Looney. And of course for Canada, Haley Wickenheiser, my dog's namesake for gosh sakes. And then even further back, Angela James and Caroline Ouellette, who's been another great name recently. And there's been so many players over the last 20-some-odd years, but there's been so many players that have gone even longer that in the early days of the World Championships in the 90s. And that's why talking with Digit Murphy was such a big deal because she's been in the game. She was doing women's hockey, coaching at Brown, long before it was an NCAA sport. Back when it was, all right, there's a group of us that want to keep playing against each other. Not really school funded, but let's give her a go. 
you know, it's a really great story that this program's come that women's hockey's come so far in the last 30 years, but I just think it's going to continue to climb. And that's what we see, especially on national international women's day, all the great praise that we've seen for the hot for bleh for women's hockey words are tough. So we're in the last 25 minutes and change here on the cool show. Puck drop just moments away between Minnesota and Vegas. Unfortunately, we can't have it on the screen in here because guess what, kids? It's on the NHL Network, and I'm not dumb, and I'm not going to get that dumb sling TV. Just get the NHL Network, even though I really do want it. And getting satellite TV is just not in our budget right now. We have the Hulu TV, and we have ESPN Plus, the Disney bundle, whatever, so that's how we get that. So that's why that's the extent of our television experience. And I don't know why. Uh, they decided, the NHL decided, hey, let's have all these games. The 9 o'clock Oilers Sens game, the Avs and Coyotes 9 o'clock game. Let's put those on ESPN+. Plus. Not any game in actual prime time here on the East Coast. Yes, it's East Coast bias, but don't you want me yelling about something that's going on right now, live on the air? Don't you want that? I mean, I, I think it's cool. I mean, dude, don't you guys watch the Slapshot Sweethearts podcast or watch it or listen to it? They do all those cool, awesome live reaction videos with guests and all that stuff. That stuff's cool to watch, right? Now, uh, mine's a little bit different because it's just me in here with a couple people that stop by every so often. So, regardless, let's let's look at the upcoming games here because, uh, like I said, the game I just mentioned, Minnesota and Vegas. Right now, two teams that are, dare I say, battling for playoff supremacy in the Western Division. So Minnesota's fallen back a little bit. They've dropped their last couple of games. They're 7-2-1 and one in their last 10, though. Currently on a, well, they lost the other night. Of course, they lost to Arizona. The purple Arizona, the Grape Soda Coyotes. Grape Soda, Grape Soda Kachina. Grape Soda Kachinas. I love it. I'm not going to brand it, though, but they're currently fourth. They're six points back behind Vegas. Vegas with a game in hand, leading the D West Division, the Honda West with 33 points. St. Louis, 31. Or Colorado, 22 games played, 28 points. St. Louis, though, 25 games, along with Anaheim, the most games in that division because COVID, it's a thing. The Mass Mutual East Division, my goodness, guys, the Islanders are on a hot streak. Five consecutive wins for the team from Long Island. Currently playing at Nassau. Going to be playing over in Belmont. 34 points, 25 games played. Ahead of the Washington Capitals, the for the short time being, not to long enough time being Tom Wilson list, Washington Capitals, Boston Bruins, who are going to be out with Carlo for a lot longer than seven games. Boston Bruins sitting third, Pittsburgh fourth, Philadelphia fifth. Rangers are six points back, but they're right. They're climbing up behind the Philadelphia Flyers, dare I say it. And New Jersey and Buffalo hanging out down there at the bottom saying, hey, guys, who do we got next year? Brant Clark? Sweet. Discover Central division, Tampa right there. It's 36 points. However, right behind them, tickling their shoes, Carolina and Florida, 35 and 34 points respectively, and Chicago. A little bit of a gap, though, because Columbus has, they're not 18-wheeler falling off a cliff yet, but boy, those wheelers are hanging off the side of the edge and looking down as the driver saying, this may not be good, guys, because Columbus may be heading in the downward direction. They're 10, 11, and 5. They're three, they've won three of their last 10 have the Blue Jackets. There's a six-point gap right now between Chicago, who's in fourth, Connecticut, Connecticut, Columbus, who's in fifth. Too much NWHL talk. Columbus, who's in fifth, Nashville, Dallas, and Detroit. 
Surprise, surprise, surprise. Dallas, like I said, well, Dallas has only played 20 games, though. We have to remember that. A lot of COVID issues with Dallas. That's what happens, kids, when you tell everyone that your state mask mandate is done for because you're a bunch of dinguses in down in Texas. And by the way, IHF U18 World Championships, they're going to be down in Texas this year. Awesome. Because probably it's because, hey, they're not having to test down there. We can bring everyone down there. Everyone can get COVID. Who cares? Right? Exactly. I'm pretty sure that's how it's going to go. But Dallas, obviously, you know, like I said, they're compared to Tampa. Tampa, they have three games in hand on Tampa, five games on Nashville, six on Chicago and Columbus. So Dallas can make up room here. They sit seventh, but like I said, there are a lot of points back, but you know, those could be five wins they could make up if they can somehow get those games in before the end of the season. Because right now, points percentage-wise, they are still, in fact, sixth. Because Columbus, right now, 48.1% winning percentage. Dallas is 47.5. So Dallas is technically, if it were to be the whole points percentage at the end of the day, they would be still out of a playoff spot at this time. To the Scotia North, Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, Montreal, Calgary, Vancouver, Ottawa. We mentioned them a little bit with Cody Jansen at the top of the show. And we talked a little bit about that. So be sure to check out the replay if you missed that interview. That was right off the top of the program. Catch it on your favorite podcatcher, Spotify, iHeart, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, Radio FM, or whatever weird, awkward podcast site. We're on it. I've done a couple of deep searches, and we're on a lot more websites than I thought we were. But we're on the main ones. We're on the big ones, which is probably why we go on all the other small ones. Um, not Spreaker, though. We're on SoundCloud because that's where we use our awesome stuff. That's where we post all of our awesome stuff here on TKS. Also, check out the video replay if you want to watch me yell at my wife as she walks across the camera and tell her how beautiful she is. I do that on the YouTube channel, the Q Show YouTube channel, which, by the way, may have another high school game coming up this week. I'm not sure yet. I reached out to a couple teams. One already said no because they already have their own dad that calls a game. Good for them. Whatever you want to call that game and just have a one-sided broadcast, be my guest. Because the MHSA this year is allowing anyone to broadcast games like video-wise, whereas in years past they don't allow them because they have to pay to watch games. So this year it's a little bit different because, well, they you know it's you know pandemic and not many people can go to games. So or not as many. Obviously, it's increased a little bit, but heading to tournament tournament time. It, changing slightly but as of right now anyone can broadcast games they want to hence why we've been doing them but like i said stay tuned at the kula show twitter facebook and instagram for an update on that we'll be looking for either wednesday or thursday because i got a busy friday and saturday coming up here for davenport so we'll stay tuned on that front now looking at the games to what to watch for this week on tks i'm really excited like i said this minnesota vegas game they play tonight they play wednesday it's really hard for me not to get too excited for it because I really, man, if Minnesota can pull this off where they can win the division, I, I think it'll mean more to them to win the division than it would be to Vegas. Cause Vegas, Vegas is supposed to be good. Minnesota. Nobody thought they were going to be this good. Last week, they kind of had a little bit of a media frenzy. Bill Guerin was on Hockey Central, and he says, you know, this team's got the right kind of pieces, and they have Jared Spurgeon was on 31 Thoughts podcast, and he's excited because, A, he's the captain of this hockey club, and they have the they have the pieces. Kirill Kaprizov is absolutely tearing this league a new one, tearing that division a new one. And this kid's a rookie. I'm like, if he can keep this up, my goodness, guys, you hope, knock on wood, he's not a one-hit wonder because 
He can be a superstar before we know it. And, you know, Vegas, they are, they, they're, they've turned into a really old team over the last, you know, couple of years of all the players they've picked up. But there's another team that has an opportunity to, you know, they could be, there are, they probably are, they were the favorite going in. Them and Colorado were the two teams, the top two teams coming out of that West Division. Everyone was talking about, I don't know if they can do it again. We've talked about tonight's games. We got Ottawa and Edmonton, which I didn't think was going to be a decent matchup, but Edmonton, who had Calgary, you know, took care of Calgary on Saturday night, Hockey Night Canada. Ottawa, who just beat Calgary last night, second half of back to back for them. That's probably where the Oilers will be able to take advantage of it. Arizona and Colorado. Hey, who knows how that game's going to turn out tonight? Colorado, who is as consistent as the mountains that they that they can walk on around the area because they are. They're really good. They're solid. But at times, they just take dips when they don't need to, and they play lackluster at times. Eric Pesolano, I know we talked about it with him. You know, He says he's so confident in this team since they've actually, since the last time they won a cup back in 2001 that he's confident in this team to win it all. Well, like, they, I think they got to bounce back here because I believe, I'm not mistaken, they, let's take a look at their thing. They've won six of the last ten games. They... Did drop the overtime game the other night to Anaheim, so obviously be interesting to watch that. I also have the, like I said, Habs and Nucks tonight at 10 o'clock. That is the NHL TV free game. I'm glad I'm not staying up for that. I mean, I want to stay up for that one because I just want to see Tyler Toffoli absolutely just ransack Vancouver for probably three points tonight in Vancouver at Rogers Arena. Kings and Ducks. Um, I don't want to say LA's come back down to earth, but they have won six of the last 10 games. The last a couple, they're back out of a playoff spot right now, two points behind Minnesota. Uh, Anaheim good now? I mean, I don't know. They play well against Colorado, so I don't know. I mean, Anaheim's an interesting team. I had high hopes for them. Tomorrow, you got the Rangers and Pens. Pens trying to get a little bit more comfortable into a comfortable playoff spot. The Islanders, the red-hot New York Islanders meeting the Boston Bruins. I, Man, Boston... I don't know how they're going to respond. Obviously, a lot of emotion was going into those games against Washington due to the just the Trent Frederick experience because how he went after the big guns, went after Ovechkin, fought Tom Wilson, willingly smiled about it, fought him twice over that time frame. You're going to be looking at an interesting matchup. Obviously, the Jets and Leafs played three times this week, all of them at Scotiabank Arena. The Leafs looking to bounce back after two losses to Vancouver after such a great game, couple of games, three games against the Edmonton Oilers. If they can play like they did against Edmonton, Winnipeg doesn't have a chance. However, if they play like they did against Vancouver, it's going to be a wild, wild three-game set. No question about it. Blackhawks and Stars, like I said, Chicago right there in a playoff spot. Dallas, a lot of games in hand, but they got to make up ground quick here because if they don't get those games in, if they don't start winning games and it comes down to points percentage, they may be a team on the outside looking in. I picked them to finish fourth, guys. I had them fourth in this division. Kind of looking at pretty much the Monday schedule tonight, by the way. It's pretty much the Wednesday schedule. And only a couple different games from Tuesday to Thursday. Pittsburgh playing Buffalo. Buffalo. You see you see that? Okay. You know, kind of taking a pause here on the what to watch for. You guys actually see Taylor Hall fall on a breakaway? I always joke about it on a broadcast, but that blue line's a little bit tricky, folks. It's it literally just... I, I've never... Like, this guy was on a World Junior team, World Junior gold medalist, Taylor Hall. World Cup winner, Taylor Hall. Number one overall pick, Taylor Hall. Forgets how to skate. He went 
to Ed, he went to Buffalo, and I really thought, you know, maybe if he stays in Tampa, maybe he can turn it around. I'm pretty sure if I'm a player, I'm not looking at Arizona anymore as a franchise that I want to go sign with at this point, but I digress. How do you just eat it when you're going on a breakaway? All the time, you're looking around, no one's behind you, you're just, all right, here we go, we got some room, here, here we go, we got a breakaway, and just take an absolute poop stain coming across the blue line and skating across the ice, and just how do you not go off for a change and be like, screw this, I'm, I'm done for the night, coach, I'm not worth it. You know, Buffalo, I feel for Buffalo. I really do. Not for the Julas, but for the fans that go to those games, watch those games all the time. Not go to them, obviously, but that watch that team, that follow that team, that follow Buffalo sports. They have been jonesy. Like, this year with Josh Allen and the Bills, has probably been the best Buffalo year since, what, 2007? When the Sabres came within a few wins of the Stanley Cup final, let's be honest, that's pretty much been it. Their back-to-back conference finals appearances in 06 and 07, maybe the the time they clinched a playoff spot in 2011 where they literally held on to the puck for the last 40 seconds in regulation to pick up a tie so they can clinch a spot. That may have been the best moment in Buffalo sports before Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. That's how tough it's been in Buffalo. Maybe watching Vladdy Jr. with the Buffalo Bisons. That's probably been one of their best moments as well. Maybe I'm a little biased from a Jays fan. But regardless, I I don't know what Buffalo's got to do to turn things around. They've been trying to turn it around for over half a decade. Since they traded Ryan Miller, that was the official Kickstarter of the rebuild. They have been in a rebuild since the Obama administration. Since when Pierre Trudeau was no more than a candidate. Stephen Harper was prime minister in Canada. That's how long ago Buffalo was a competitive hockey club. That's how long it's been for this rebuild. Nothing has changed. The ownership has changed. General managers, plural, have changed. Head coaches, multiple, have changed. Captains, goaltenders, nothing. Absolutely nothing has changed. They have Jack Eichel. I look at Jack Eichel, and the player that comes to mind all the time, whenever I watch him, I don't say Connor McDavid, because Connor McDavid, now the Oilers are actually in a playoff spot, and a little bit more consistently a presence in the postseason, at least over the last couple of years. But you look at a guy like him, and for the longest time, I'm trying to think of another top guy that was part near wasted like this. You know, thankfully for the Vancouver Canucks sake, the Sedins eventually got into the playoffs. The, what was it their second season? You know, there there were so many. There, I don't I actually now that I think about it, I'm really trying to think really hard. I thought there'd be a player that that was so talented and so gifted, but was stuck on such a bad team for so long and have it be so miserable. I is how has there ever been? I'm really, truly trying to think of a player that played on such a bad team for so long, but was so good that he deserved better. There's multiple players that have never won the Stanley cup. I get that. Marcel Dion and Mike Gartner and Eddie Jackman 
and and the list goes on and on and on. Curtis Joseph, all these great Roberto Luongo recently retired. Most wins or most games played by a goaltender, or one of the highest most games played all time. I how can you not look at Jack Eichel and think not disappointment, but just complete and utter failure with that franchise that you when you try to lose purposely to get Connor McDavid you get Jack Eichel but Jack Eichel is really good right so what do you do waste his talent his entire career it's never been done before not that I can think of I this is why I need to get Jeff Merrick on my show Jeff has there ever been a player that has been so it's been so good but his team sucked for pretty much its entirety of his time there Taylor Hall played on such a bad Oilers team, but here's the thing. Jack Eichel is twice the player Taylor Hall is. I I don't know what to say about Buffalo, guys. They, they're a team that struggles. They're a team that's bad. They suck. And they're going to continue to suck. Firing Ralph Kruger is not going to change a darn thing. Getting rid of Kevin... The guy just started Kevin Adams, but what's he supposed to do? If someone hands you, you know, a, a suitcase filled with poop, it takes a while to clean it out and get that stench out of there. You need the right people to help you clean it out, but unfortunately, right now, he doesn't have that. doesn't have that ability. What, get new ownership? Sell the team? I, I don't know what, what the plan is to make this team better. It's the most dumbfounding thing. With the Toronto Maple Leafs in the early 2000s, or the late 2000s, 09, 10, 11. It was, all right, this team's bad. We're making it was bad trades after bad trades after bad trades, and Ron Wilson and Randy Carlisle, hey, 2013, and then back to mediocrity and failure. But at least they eventually found the right formula, the Shanna plan, getting Lou to come in, getting, you know, Kyle Dubas to start developing. Mark Hunter was a great scout, and that turned the franchise around. Now they're a team that has the chance to win the division this year and be a real competitive team. And maybe I'm not to use the word favorite for the cup, not that big silver thing, but they're looking like a team that can make a run in these playoffs. The Leafs in, let's be honest, two years, were able to put a rebuild together. The Sabres have not done squat since the 2011 playoff berth. It is incredibly miserable to look at that franchise and to think it's going to get better anytime soon. And unfortunately, I'm not smart. I'm really not. You guys know this. You watch all the time. You listen all the time. You get it. There is no way that I can try to tell you what's going to change this franchise. I really don't. I don't know if there's someone that needs to go in there and start. I mean, Ralph Kruger is a decent coach, but we thought Phil Halsey was a decent coach. Coach well at the World Junior level. I don't think, I'm trying to think of a coach that could step in there right now and do stuff. There's no coach, no former coach or no current coach that could go to the Buffalo Sabres. Barry Trotz could go to the Buffalo Sabres. Still miss the playoffs. That's how bad Buffalo is. 
Rounding out the rest of the week in terms of games, Blues taking on the Knights. That'll be a tough one. Arizona and Minnesota. We talked about their game last Saturday. Avs and Kings. That could be a real stunner if the Kings can really maybe pull something out of their behind. On Saturday, Hockey Night in Canada, you're going to have Calgary and Montreal. A 7 o'clock puck drop, but it's in Calgary. Of course, Leafs and Jets as well. Also, Canucks and Oilers. That is also Game 2 of the Golden Knights Blues set. And Preds and Lightning. And I'm pretty sure Peyton Turns excited for that because he's ready to watch his team get smacked. Dallas and Columbus. Dallas, that is a team that they need to beat if they want to try to climb back into the playoff race. And then the Leafs got a back-to-back Saturday, Sunday. They play the Jets in their third game, but then they get Ottawa in Ottawa Sunday, and then they take them on again on Wednesday? Wednesday? No, they have a one-off of the sense. Wow, a rare runoff. One-off this season. Typically, you only have back-to-backs or at least two games against a team before you play someone else, but that is it for this one, folks. This... Not too bad of an episode. I, it could have gone a lot worse had I had coffee or had less sleep, but I got a nap in, didn't have any coffee, and I think it went well for the most part. I'm staring at my screen half the time here and looking into the camera and telling you that Buffalo is bad. Bad, bad Buffalo. Not sad Buffalo. Bad Buffalo. Be sure to use the hashtag TKS when you talk about the episode today. Make sure you check out the replay tomorrow. If you're not capable to catch the entire episode, that's okay. The Kula Show YouTube channel where you can catch the replay of this tomorrow and your favorite podcatcher as well. Follow us on social medias at The Kula Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to follow us on 12 on Sports as well at 12 on Sports. Very simple. Be sure to follow them on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. Check us out next week as next Monday we'll have, like I said, we'll have a little bit of that preview for the national, the NCAA Women's National Tournament and more awesome hockey talk. Hopefully less yelling next week and more guests here on TKS on 12 Ounce Sports. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.